Plot, The White Countess, 2005, Heading, Sponsored, but Written by Jono, Shanghai, 1936, Crossroads of the World and into the city of political intrigue comes Sophia, a Russian countess who, with the remains of her family, has been left stateless by the revolution. Forced by her reduced circumstances to support herself and her family as a bar girl and taxi dancer, Sophia forms a relationship with Jackson, a blind former diplomat who opens an elegant bar, the White Countess. Their curious relationship matures but they are caught up in the fall of the city to the Japanese invaders. Voice over off. When you're blind and watching movies, what will you find? A blind superhero whose superpowers are acting like he's not blind. A sighted actor overdramatically touching people's faces. Or maybe the whole joke is that they're bumping in to different places. A spectacular. Welcome to Citizen White Cane, um, the podcast where seeing is believing and not seeing is suspending disbelief. Um, my name is Sky McLeod. And I'm Melissa Buckta. And we are talking about the movie The White Countess. Yay! Yeah, It was your week to pick the yeah. movie this week. Yeah, so um, it was interesting seeing it again because I had seen it... Um, Gosh, when I was, like, in high school, I think, so it's been a long time. Well, and it was interesting uh, for me to see it for the first time. Yes, uh, I would love to know just kind of how what your just kind of very basic opinions are. Oh, yes, I can I can do that. <laughs> or, 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 I mean, <laughs> just you can also be, you know, more detailed. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, well, so, I mean... I really, when you suggested it, I really wasn't sure because you were like, oh, and there's subtitles and oh, it's a, it's, it's a foreign film. Which and I'm, just I'm like, sorry. Because I forgot uh, that it didn't actually have that many subtitles at all. No, it didn't. And I was so happy. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, when, the, when the first scene opens up and the Russian women are speaking English, I was like, hallelujah. Yeah. It's yeah. this movie. I was um, really glad that it had less subtitles than I remember. Yeah. It's really cool that they acknowledge the fact that in Shanghai in the 30s, there were shit ton of languages yeah. that were spoken which was really cool you have French and Russian and I'm sure there was well the, obviously there was English because there's it's about an American diplomat right there was um, China. Mandarin Chinese right. there's uh, Japanese that you know it's it, that was that was really cool yeah it is really like that's what is interesting about the movie is there is so many different languages and it is funny that's which is why I think in my head I thought it had a lot more subtitles than it did because it is surprising how they got so many like because sometimes like the fact that the Russian characters were all speaking English to each other is like almost like why why (laughs) oh no I thought I thought that too I was like why not just have them speak Russian and then I was like oh yeah you can't read subtitles shut up and watch the movie right I thought the same thing I'd be like I'm thankful but this also is not realistic because why in China would they all be speaking English to each other. Yeah, I mean, she does sing to her daughter in Russian, which is which is nice. And you do get to hear at the at the club there are Russian singers. At, yeah. At first, I couldn't figure out if, if it was Russian or Chinese, but it's definitely Russian. It sounds it sounds like Russian. There's a, yeah, because they have a few, and it. Um. So I don't know which copy or how you want. Did you watch it on DVD? I did. I, I ran it for the library. So did it have like subtitles when? 
because the copy I watched, it was just like on Amazon and it was very odd in that you could turn on English subtitles or you could turn off the English subtitles, but the English subtitles were literally just like closed captions, but then they would translate anytime someone was speaking in a different language into English. So it's very weird. Oh, interesting. Um, no, my copy was you only heard what they wanted you to hear when they wanted you to hear it. Like you only saw the subtitles. Right. So, okay. So she, in the at the beginning of the movie, our, our Russian contest, Sofia, she's on the train and she's talking to the Frenchman. That was all subtitled. That, that, so conversations right. like that were subtitled, but any of the like, you hear people in the streets or like non right, sequiturs. Some of them or, are like Japanese. Right, right. Or the, the, the people at the club, like the Chinese opera singer, like you don't hear. Right. You don't get to, like, it's just, which I like. I mean, personally, yeah. I like listening to music that isn't, in, that is not you don't in English. Need to know. So it's, it's, I don't need to know. It yeah. just sounds pretty. <laughs> it would, I mean, yeah, right. I, I should get off my ass and do research and figure out what they're actually saying, but honestly, it just it's, sounds pretty. I, it's, that's fine, I think. I don't, I mean, I am not a very, lyrically I like the sound of lyrics in a song but I don't need to even I mean because there's English songs that I like that have the lyrics don't really make any sense if you really look at them and I still can enjoy it like so you know if I can enjoy English songs that don't have any that don't actually make sense I can enjoy songs where I don't understand the language but (laughs) but to answer your question um to to actually answer your question I really liked this. I was a little worried because when I watched the trailer, it was like a romantic epic. And I was like, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I just don't. I'm not a very romantic person. I just don't go in yeah. for all that stuff. And having to watch people do it in a movie is just like, as in fall in love, like not just like sex. <laughs> not like sex. sex doesn't bother me. I really don't care. But like to watch that whole process, I'm bored. <laughs> I'm so bored. However, um, this there is a there is a romance there, uh, and at one point it kind of sort of comes. It kind of felt like it came out of nowhere, but still, it does. Uh, yeah, it really does. But yeah. but um, there was enough other stuff happening, and I really these characters were also not two dimensional. It wasn't yeah. like you know they met at a cafe and they have a misunderstanding because <laughs> now I thought that's what this was going to be because he uh, talks yeah. to her. So Ray Fiennes is the main character. He's blind in this film, right. and um, <laughs> Natasha. I can't remember her last name. Red Grave? Red, no, it's, she's not a Red Grave. They're, both Red Graves are in this, though. Well, anyway, Sophia and Mr. Jackson are having this conversation in the <laughs> the Chingling, which I think... I was like, wow, is that racist? I don't know. I, oh, yeah. Again, I don't speak Chinese, so I don't know. But they they met in this club where she's working as a, a call girl and or a prostitute, basically. Right, and, like she's a good dancer. Right, but she's also mm-hmm. there also if you want to have conversations. Right. But she'll also sleep with you if you, that's what you want. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so so they're having this conversation, and he overhears someone addressing her, another Russian immigrant addressing her as as Countess Sophia, because that's who she is. She's, she's literally a fallen Russian countess, right? basically. Um, and then I, at first I thought, oh, my God, is she, what if she's not and he thinks she is and then we have to go through this whole charang and then she has to tell him I'm not a countess and that <laughs> luckily none of that and then he's I can't love you if you're not a countess no 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 like none of that happened she actually is a countess <laughs> thank god we don't have to go through that cliche yeah um so so I so there there was none of there was none of that um so I was very pleasantly surprised I mean the acting is fantastic 
I mean, it's the acting is great. The story is really engaging. Um, I don't know much about Shanghai in the 30s, and I was like, wow, this is super cool. I would like to go here and visit this place. Yeah, well, and it's also filmed entirely on location in Shanghai, yes, which I, is cool. I did notice that in the opening credits. Uh, it was a partnership between BBC Films and the Chinese, what they call their film studio. And I thought, oh, that's that's actually actually quite interesting. But because of that, that was really cool because Everything was authentic. Every, yeah. All the characters felt authentic. The setting felt authentic because it was authentic. Right. Though as someone who's been to Shanghai re- more recently, probably actually not a little bit after the movie was filmed, but kind of, I mean, maybe like within three years of this movie being filmed, there is so much construction and like skyscrapers it is one of the most like modern cities so it is like such a feat that they were able to make shanghai look like it was in the 30s like it it makes more sense to me that like her was filmed in shanghai because that's like it's easier to make shanghai the future than it is to make it the past even the past of shanghai i I forgot about that (laughs) yeah but yeah oh that's interesting they must have filmed in they they must have either built a lot of sets or filmed in such a way that like you just don't see right. All I think of that's the I think mostly they filmed like yeah at certain angles, but that is like a feat of yeah. Because yeah. there's because there's a scene where they're at the public gardens, and it's obviously it's gorgeous, and I'm like, that's still got to be there, right? Like right, they right. Wouldn't tear those. You'd think there'd be more of them. Yeah, there's a. It is a. It's really an interesting. But it doesn't feel like you're watching something that it, it feels genuine to the time period. Um, it doesn't I'm like watching it. I wasn't like super aware of how I mean, I was just thinking, wow, this is impressive because of like thinking about how she I was like, it's impressive. This wasn't just a studio like on a studio like um, lot because it it is very like. The, the, in the frame and you really do have it It looks like period piece which is hard to do yeah and also you had me at Merchant Ivory film right like, oh it's a Merchant Ivory film okay sign me up <laughs> this um, was the final film that Ishmael Merchant he produced it and then I think he died around the time that it was being released wow so this would have been technic- so I think this was technically the last movie they worked together on because um because it was the final film that he was alive during the making of. And I think he has a producer credit. Um, but then it's, like, officially directed just by Ivory. You're correct. I remember yeah. seeing that in the, um, in the credits. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's just... I don't know. I don't know how to say this without sounding white. <laughs> because it's like Merchant Ivory films. Um, it's just a good film. They're yeah. just... They're just... I've seen, I've seen my fair share of Merchant Ivory films. You know... They're just really good films. <laughs> They're just really well done films. Like I don't feel like it was a waste of time. I don't yeah. I don't feel like it dragged. You know, like it just I was just really content to be in, in this the world, world right. yeah, with all of these characters, you know. Yeah, it is very it is very like feels like you're kind of entering world which is thematically kind of what the movie is about. And to talk more about like the specifics of the plot of the movie, um you basically have it takes place after the Treaty of Versailles like is signed. So when 
they're like a time period where China is kind of in like a limbo of being like upset about the treaty. Um, which this is from my Googling before we started the podcast. So very informed. Um, but like the, there's kind of like tension that's building because of like what Japan like was able to get in and China feeling kind of left behind by the process of, um, signing the Treaty of Versailles after World War One, And then, like, it takes place in this time period where there's, like, technically no war or anything going on, but it's, like, as tensions are building between China and Japan and as the Communist Party is, like, kind of developing and in China, um, like, it kind of starts before that process it's 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 the movie takes place during the rise of the party being a thing that's i was like i was a little worried about like when i saw the 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 credit for the chinese i'm gonna say film board but i don't i know that's not them that's the bbc british film board but anyway the chinese film authority uh i was a little worried because i was like you know how are they gonna right are they gonna let them tell the story that they want to tell because like yeah because this was oh six right I believe, as the year came so. out, which is, I mean, I don't know if it was as extreme now, like the Chinese market, like, I don't, yeah, but yes. Well, it, so let them tell the story in a sense that um, if they put China in a bad light, right, like, right. would they, would they, but, but, you know, actually just saying that statement, I realized, um, yes, they let them tell the story the way they want to do it because they put the J- Japanese in a bad light. Right, right, exactly. Because it is they're, like. They're the quote unquote villains of there isn't there isn't really a bad guy a villain yeah. in this movie it's kind of just history right, um, right. but the japanese in basically invade shanghai yeah um and yeah. and it kind of is it all takes place in in shanghai and um yeah so you kind of like it's really like these building tensions are in the ba- or the backdrop of the entire movie um but weirdly kind of like it's almost like a mood <laughs> more than it is like the actual specifics oh, of, definitely. of it which I think obviously is an intentional choice um it's I was unsure what to think about how we're following white characters <laughs> and really there's not any like not even like really any of the Asian characters play like some of them play important roles in the plot, but yeah, it is I mean, you, primarily about two white people. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, because you, you have you know Mr. Mashido, who is the the Japanese character, the Japanese right. man that Jackson befriends. What, what I kind of laughed about um, was you have Ray Fiennes, who's an amazing actor, who's playing this American diplomat, and I was like, where's Ray Fiennes? Like, because I'm listening for Ray for his voice, and I'm like, where is he? You know, he's, <laughs> isn't he in this movie? And then it dawned on me, it was like. Oh my God, that's him. He's just doing an American accent. Oh which yeah, isn't it's not, ta- bad. it's not bad. It's there. It do- he definitely comes out in a couple of places though, and I'm just like, okay, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But but as far as American accents go, I mean, he could have done a whole lot worse. But after a while, you can just you just know right when it's someone who's trying to do an American accent. It's yeah. true because sometimes I kind of got confused on the plot because I did keep thinking like. 
is well he's from england right like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so british. i kept like yeah. thinking he yeah. was british and then that kind yeah. of made me confused by the plot um because <laughs> he's not a british character um and i think actually for the first half of the movie i was confused <laughs> so that it wasn't until they had made it very clear because i kept thinking he was like a british diplomat um but he but then, like, later on, you start, I think they start talking about the president. And I'm like, oh, president. So we're, yeah, well, well he's because, yeah, because when you, <laughs> no, no, no. Because when you meet him, he's he's at that meeting with his firm in the beginning of the film. And they're, like, low-key going to fire him or whatever. But right. they're all, they're a bunch of British guys. Right, right. And so and I'm so like, very why is he talking with an American accent? But yeah, no, he's, he's an American. He, right, which also, like, I'm... Not really sure why the plot needed him to be American. Like, historically, I don't know why he needed to be American. Yeah, I don't that The I don't British and the American would have been allied in there. Because <laughs> he's a diplomat. So, I mean, they're, they're all on the same team right, at well, that and point. Then, and then you but, cast Ray Fiennes. I'm just like, but why? <laughs> like, if you need an American, why you not can, cast an American? Well, it's because he's blind and he's playing a blind character. True. Um, True. Joking, because yeah. he's not actually like. No, no, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> but it does yeah, no. lead us to. Oh yeah, that's the whole reason why we're talking about this movie. Right. Ray Fiennes <laughs> is a is a blind character, and he's the, he is what I would say is he is um realistic second well realistic yes, but he is the he is the secondary main character because obviously Sophia is the main character. Well, because it's but, named after her character, but he is right. in a way like I feel like he is kind of the protagonist. Mm-hmm. In that, which I like about the movie is the movie is really using him as a way to see, through, like, he is kind of our, um, what's the right word? Like, he is our... The audience surrogate. Yes, that's exactly the right term. Um, he's the audience surrogate, which I feel like is really, you know, when we saw City Lights, that was something I thought about a lot of just how much, like, the movie wasn't even wanting us to, like think about what the blind character's perspective was and so I really liked that the movie was really using his character as the as the audience surrogate which doesn't happen very often with a blind character because I think that movies are just so geared towards sighted people that the idea of like having a blind character be the surrogate is like doesn't really <laughs> make sense um so I really like that um because uh, that's so uncommon um also you I felt absolutely no pity for this character yes which was great yeah it was so nice that he like wasn't spending the entire movie like because he does get into an accident which i feel like that gives like he loses his sight in an accident and Mm -hmm. so because of them i feel like you could kind of even have more leeway of of him feeling like it's blindness because when you're born with blindness, no person born with blindness is really like thinking about wanting to see. There's just no reason to. Right. <laughs> like, no, exactly. You just you don't. other than it would be more convenient because people wouldn't like be like you could actually exist in a sighted world a little easier. But that's yeah. Well, I mean, when no if you if you've never had sight, like your your brain is literally right, wired differently. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, yeah. Right. Right. Whereas if you lose it as an adult, because he like loses it during an accident, and his he has his daughter with him, which is an important part of the plot because his daughter dies in the same accent where he loses his vision so he was you know at that point old enough to be a father so obviously had 
you know, spent his whole life growing up as a sighted person. So I feel like that gives you more leeway to have him being like, I wish I could have my vision back. And he doesn't. It's just like, there's no point where he's like, oh, I want to see. Like, he's just such a competent blind person. And it feels much more accurate in that he has the cane. Yes, he has a cane and he's <laughs> using it, it correctly. Yes. Oh my God. And then he also doesn't use it a few times in like where it makes sense. Like he like because he has a club. So the beginning of the movie, like basically the first act is him kind of devising this idea of wanting to put together a club um, and kind of what his ideal club would be, what the bouncers would be like, and what, you know, the performance is, and, and the White Countess. Well, he meets, okay, so he meets Sophia, the White Countess, at, yes. at this other club, uh, and immediately falls in love is not the right, is not what I want to use. Because it didn't, I didn't feel like it was love. Yeah. It, but immediately becomes infatuated with um, which is which is something really cool because it, he's never. I mean, obviously he's blind, so he's never seen her. Right. Yeah. I just haven't. I just haven't seen that a lot. It's it's really cool to watch a a, a friendship because they they are they do start out as friends, which kind of turns into a, a out of left field turns into a romance. Yeah. But still, it's it, for me as as someone who's blind, it's really awesome and and fun and inspiring to watch you know i know rafe finds isn't blind but you know it's really fun to watch a blind character have that experience yeah. well because i feel like that is a common thing to have a blind or a disabled character in general be desexualized too. yes yeah, and on and even though you know this is a Merchant Ivory movie, so there's no sex in it, yeah. uh, which, which is fine. There's like one passionate kiss. That's it. Yes. that's all you get. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is a weird. I feel like the third act definitely, especially like kind of. I think there's some really good parts in the third act, um, and then I think they're the kind of the way that the romance happens, like that it is so out of left field. I don't feel like that really makes sense right, well, basically, like it, it yeah. feels awkward yeah well I mean basically they were like business partners because he wants her to be his muse basically his centerpiece and right, his, I mean right. he calls the club the white countess because it's about her and she works there so she's an escort but she doesn't have to sleep with nobody no more right and <laughs> oh yeah this movie is a, like a view on sex work is, oh yeah oh my god I mean the, I don't good. think the movie I think the movie is like making characters that have very problematic perspectives and I don't think the movie is in any way endorsing those perspectives but and you know I bet they probably I think they probably were time specific like well, that that, yes. that was accurate to the time yes, period because if you think about it if you think about it her whole family so it's it's they all live in this flat together right so it's Sophia it's her daughter Katya it's Krushna I'm not sure how Krushna is related to, to Sophia. I, I didn't catch that. And then their mother. I think, um, oh, I feel like, are they like in siblings-in-law or something, something somehow? Something like that. Cause, cause They're like not blood-related, I don't think. Something like that. Cause, I Because here's the thing. They're all royalty, basically. Yeah. Um, she Sophia is the, is the countess, and 
there's uh, a princess and a prince. Uh, Uncle Peter, I think, is the prince's name, and I can't remember the princess's name. Um, so they're they're all they're all royalty. So they literally have come from splendor on high. You know, they've had everything handed to them, and then they were basically ousted, and right. um, uh, and are taking refuge in Shanghai. And now they've been reduced to. No. Doing sex doing work. Doing sex work. Except for, it is like this kind of dynamic of, um, what is the character, what is um, the White Countess, what is her actual character name? Sophia. Sophia. I can't remember her last name and middle name, but it's great, but I can't remember. That's, that's her name is Sophia. That's it, yeah. So Sophia um, is, uh, does like like both, yeah, escorting, sex work, kind of like dancing, and then in it is completely by the rest of the family, like, seen as very shameful and, like, something that she should be hiding from her daughter and something that she should be, like, you know, basically saying this is so bad and this is horrible. You wouldn't want your daughter to see this or to grow up and be like this. But then also, like, we're depending on you to make exactly, the money. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's like, uh, don't, just like, go lock yourself in your room when you get ready and don't touch your daughter and don't, don't talk to your daughter when you, but, but, but you know, you better bring home that money. Right, right. And we're like, depending on you <laughs> for this because no one else is working, which is just like, I mean, it, and I, I like that the movie obviously is like, showing how stupid that like and how fucked up and unfair that perspective is and I also don't think it's like like honestly given how horribly oppressive like the world is towards sex workers now like and just just how you know we have not come honestly the world is not all that different from like from the movie and this is in the 30s so you know it is in I guess 20s and 30s so it it probably is completely historically accurate that they would be like that but our our blind diplomat Mr. Jackson Todd I believe is his first name but everyone just calls him Mr. Jackson this Um, is good you're remembering all the names I'm like I literally don't remember a single person's but it's yes. okay. <laughs> I I have to in order to become attached to a character, I have to know their name. So oh, I'm it's like the Bechdel I always test. know. Yeah, I have to know their name. If I don't know their name, I don't care about. Them. Oh, City Lights must have really. It was all <laughs> made it hard. I, I knew the tramp and I knew the blind girl, and I'm just like, but they don't have names. Yeah, no one in you, silent movies you know has what? names. No, you know what? Once is one of my favorite movies, and the main characters in Once don't have names either. In the credits, they're literally listed as guy and girl. I'm just like, why? But I love them. I, but I love ones. Anyway. Um, anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, but I, I like the fact that he meets her at the club and he it becomes infatuated with her. But it's when you take the sight out of everything, it there's it's not like he sees her from across a smoky room and she's beautiful, you know. And it's it's all of the physical, like, attractive like all that stuff is gone you don't have you know you you have to physically talk to somebody or he falls in love with her mind with her personality with right a little bit with who she was i think i mean because she's countess you know right well and it's in in the first time that they meet each other 
because I don't think we've talked about that yet, um, is he is in Todd, is the diplomat. Um, is that feels so weird to call him Mr. Todd. Jackson. Mr. Jackson. <laughs> Ray Fines. Ray Fines, yeah. You know, blind guy. Um, he um, is in the original club that she um, works in before he makes his own club. Um, and he is sitting there just kind of like want not watching the show but just being there while uh, while people are dancing and I think he's going up to leave and we kind of like while he's going while he's getting going to leave it's intercut with these kind of like two <laughs> like like ruffians I don't know oh, exactly yeah. like I, what their deal I is I totally missed this and because she comes up to him and is like hey you should leave with me and he's like I, I don't want you know I don't need your services da, da, da. and he, she's like no 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 you don't understand there's two thugs back there who are gonna beat you up and take your shoes right <laughs> Because he's a blind person, um, and he, well, well, not not only that, but because um, because he was wearing nice clothes, he had nice oh, shoes. Oh, right, right, he's, right. He's got money, right? Which is uh, definitely part of the kind of character. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, he's a diplomat, but but he's not a snob. Like he's not an asshole. Right, right. But he's got money. He's which yeah, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of it is kind of him being a disabled person and being but having the financial ability to yeah. so it creates okay. like no this. no seriously i was totally thinking about that cuz there's a there's a scene where he's getting ready to go out and his man lou his chauffeur is helping him like put his tie on and like get him you know put his jacket on you know whatever hands him his hat da 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 and i had a thought i was like obviously he's got money Obviously, right. and he can afford to be disabled. Yeah. But what about the people in Shanghai? Like, what if he was blind and had, like, shit? Yeah, like, no. Like, had no money. He really has, like, the most privilege of a disabled person at that time period. Because <laughs> he is, like, a rich white person, diplomat, you know, so of a, like, you know, political standing that's kind of in check. Like, there is... Really, just blindness is the only thing that makes him um, not have privilege. <laughs> like, he just has all the privilege outside of being blind. Um, and so it definitely... Well, and I don't think it's I don't think it's a case that he doesn't have any privilege. He has privilege. He goes to all the clubs that he wants to go to. He doesn't get thrown out of any of them. He talks to the people he wants to talk to. He, right. You know. Well, and I think that's part of why when they do have, like... When he does run into something that is, like, some blindness-related thing where he's being discriminated against, like, I think that's, in some ways, it kind of puts a finer point on it because it's, like, this sense of, like, you have all the privilege and it's literally, there's no other explanation on why this would be happening other than that you're blind. Well, yeah, <laughs> because I mean, it the, is, like, yeah, direct the only discrimination. Time, right. The only time, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the only time I remember him being openly discriminated against is when Sophia tries to dance with him at the club right, that she right, works at. Right, right, right. The owner comes, you can't dance with him here. And I'm like, is he yelling at her or is he yelling at him? He's yelling at him. like For you, being blind. For being blind and on the dance floor. Like, you you can't do that here. And in so many words, Sophia basically tells him to fuck off. Right. You know, and rightly so. But, like I said, correct me if I'm wrong, that is the only... Well, that and also the, the other scene with them trying to um, 
with the, the when they meet with the guys that are like trying to steal shoes. Oh yes, and that yeah. Because I think that part of that is that he has expensive shoes, but the blindness is definitely. Well, he was an easy target. Right, right. Because it's seeing... like the fact that that um, Sophia was able to like redirect was because she had vision. So if he had right. the vision, then I he would have been able to do that theoretically. Yeah, no, I never thought that it was about her coming in and need this powerful need to save him. Right, but, but I think that it is know. implied that, not in, like, a problematic way, but just that the fact that she could see that dynamic was... Because I think that that is, like, a fair representation of what blindness is, is there are times where you are in, like, more danger just because you don't have the ability to see something, and and it's not... And if someone kind of can help you through that, it doesn't feel... It's not, like, patronizing. Like, it does feel like, okay, thank you for saving me from a situation where I could get hurt if I just didn't even if I had no ability to know I was in that situation to begin with because like crossing a street I mean you know you're like you know you're crossing a street so someone if someone's like hey can I help you then you can say yes like that's the correct way to do it as opposed to like just pushing you you know (laughs) grabbing you I've had both experiences happen to me the only time I've actually asked somebody to cross like for physical help crossing a street was I when I was in New York oh yeah and I had to cross well, don't go to Shanghai. That's God, those no. really scary streets. <laughs> oh, good. That's exciting. No, I, I was, yeah, I was, I was in Times Square, and then I wanted to cross uh, from Central Park to the Natural History Museum, and I asked for help, and people were really nice. Right. Like I walked across with tourists and with a couple of ladies. I mean, people were super nice, nice, and I'm just like, you don't need to touch me. You don't need to hold on to you, but. I would prefer to cross the street with a sighted person. Yeah, just like someone who knows when is a good time to cross the street is fair. And I think that that, that's why, for me, I kind of will, I just like to kind of look, because I have my, with the peripheral vision, I can see movement. And so that really does help me see where the cars are. And I'm very careful about crossing the street. But in Portland, it's nice because the streets are so small. And so I like, can cross streets here by myself but I really prefer when people say ask me can I help because then I can always say no because half the time I would say no and like or you know maybe more than half but a lot of times you kind of just people aggressively help you I've had people yell at me be like you gotta cross now and I'd be like I know why are you and I've like been in danger because I was like because they were yelling at me and I was like okay and like ran across the street and the car was coming and I was like I would have never made this this like you just put me in harm's way and I didn't ask for your help at all I was just scared because you're yelling at me my my, yeah yeah my go-to in that situation is usually you can yell at me all you want you don't know Right, You're, right. I don't care, and you don't know. And Which like, is a very good yeah. to have that state of mind. I'm, I'm going to cross the street when I want to cross the street, and yes, fuck you, like, <laughs> whatever, dude. Like, I'm really sorry that I'm apparently putting such a damper on, on your, your day, day. <laughs> but I'm going to do it. For just like being confident. But yep. yeah, so that um, is uh, the difference between helping. Um, people helping, helpfully helping now you know yeah now you Please know don't I, yell at us when we cross the any street. sighted people listening this is so important yeah we could probably we at some point instead of ads we could just do like a 15 minute like psa on exactly <laughs> what is the proper to, etiquette with blind people how to treat us in public and, yeah that's, yeah especially mm-hmm. crossing the street is when you really have a lot of um 
Uh, It's exhausting. Speaking, (laughs) this is the most brilliant segue ever. Speaking of etiquette, um, they meet our diplomat and our countess. They meet at the club, and he, uh, she realizes that he's blind because he's got the cane. And um, oh god, that so many points um, that I want to bring up. Anyway, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. um, So many good, good, good. So much good stuff to talk about. So um, they they introduce him themselves to each other and uh she asks if he wants to touch her face <laughs> and first of all points to her for asking and not like grabbing his hands and being like i'm the countess sophia touch yeah. face touch face uh she didn't do that and also um when she asked that i audibly went no <laughs> <laughs> and then so did he like two seconds later and i was like oh thank i like that though it did bum me out that they ended with him doing it no no, no. i to do Honestly, I felt like that moment was earned because it was an intimate act. Yeah. It was a consensual, intimate act between the two of them. I think it could have, I would have liked it more if he didn't, that didn't mean that he, because he was like, oh, you're so beautiful. It's like, you can't, that doesn't, that, what? No, I mean, (laughs) yeah, no, I, I get I get that, but... Because I think it, touching someone's face could definitely be an intimate act. Mm-hmm. I wish that it wasn't, like, synonymous with... Because you can... I mean, there... I find certain but, people's voices very attractive. Right, right. I don't think it was... He, he finally wanted to touch her face because he wanted to feel... He wanted to see how beautiful she was. I, For me, I focused on the act of touch itself. Right. He wanted to touch her. Also, from a writing standpoint, it's a callback to yeah the, to the beginning. I I just I think that that I just hate the trope of like wanting to touch someone's face <laughs> to see them, and so that is like um, I think what what bothered me is that it's it's seen as something that blind people would give into, whereas before that point, you could kind of argue that blind people don't think that you it's relevant to touch someone's face um i think that touching can definitely be i I think it can be its own kind of intimate act of blindness but the fact that you would see someone through touching their face doesn't make any sense because it is like a different sensory information that is has its own carries its own relevance you know right obviously he's not he's not daredevil he's not making a map of her of sonic map of her face you know and just by feeling her nose and her cheeks and her you know whatever right he's not gonna he's not gonna quote unquote know what she sorry air quotes know (laughs) what she looks like but i don't think that was the point i i it it was it was the physical the physical act of touching because had they had they touched in in that way before like because she doesn't really sight guide him because he's he's got his cane yeah. and except for the the episode at the white at the at his club with the frenchman where she physically leads him away yeah i don't think they touch a lot i think they also like well because they do they dance before that too well, they did dan- they danced once at the at the old club yeah, there's a few times where they touch, but probably not, definitely not in, like, more of an intimate way. Right, it's friend, friendly touching or... Or just kind of, like, needed. in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think that that, I wish that it was more of a, that there wasn't that comparison to touching and seeing. Because I think that there is, like, someone being 
quote unquote beautiful in the way that the movie is trying to invoke is so visual <laughs> like it is like symmetry and the proportions like that is something that only is appealing in vision and if you don't have vision is just not what you care about it's like just not how you find someone attractive like right. I think you know you can find someone's voice attractive you can find like the way someone speaks attractive like those are equally you know kind of like superficial <laughs> things yeah, that you no, can find attractive I, as a I blind think, person yeah 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 I think I'm, I'm even someone smell <laughs> mm-hmm. sure sure no I think I'm I think I was more willing to let this slide <laughs> yeah <laughs> because, that's fair because I just I I think them I think the moment was earned personally you know and that's and hey it's that's you know that is that is my that is my two cents and no you shouldn't need to physically um touch someone to figure out that they are beautiful like but I don't think he fell in love with her because she was physically beautiful well and I the movie is definitely also saying that I feel like it's like he doesn't need to see that to see her and see that she's conventionally attractive that that, you know, and I think it kind of sees blindness as a way of seeing past, like, more superficial stuff, which, I don't know. I mean, even if it's a cliche, it's probably the least damaging cliche out there about blindness. It is such a cliche, though. <laughs> it is very cliche, no, but at it, least it's, like, not offensive. <laughs> whenever I see someone do that in a movie or whenever people talk about it, I think of the... um. If you have you seen the Arrested Development episodes, the the Maggie oh, Lizer yeah. arc, yeah, I, yeah, when she when they when Michael and Julie Louis Dreyfus when they introduce themselves at in the bar, she immediately grabs his face. Like that is how <laughs> blind people say hello: is we see each other on the street right. and just immediately grab on each other's face. <laughs> it's just oh, so. you're so cute. Which that is, means nothing. It's just so. Oh gosh, and it's funny because it's only sighted people that just randomly grab blind people without them yes. asking, not yes. the other way around. I've I've known my fair share of blind people. I have not touched anybody's and face without. And like with, the, I mean, I I don't know. It is twenty twenty, but you gotta like ask well, people before you. Yeah, touch I them. mean, no no offense, but I don't want your dirty hands on my yeah. face. It is really, that is not sanitary. No. I mean, like, because I always think about this, like, when I get into a new relationship with someone, I always get sick, like, very quickly. <laughs> you know, oh like, God. you just, like, you get a cold or something because you're, like, near someone else's germs. <laughs> like, I feel Your like. body has to adjust. Exactly. And I feel like if you were just, like, touching people all the time like that, you would just be so sick all the time because everyone has their own, like, microbiome and, like, all these different germs that are going to, like, t- that you need to take some and, time and for your I, body to get. If I to. went up to a sighted person, even if they were my friend, if I went up to a friend and immediately just, you know, <laughs> tried to grab their face, I'm. do you really think they would stand for that? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, no one. It's like, ugh, it's hard enough, like, being having a social life with a cane and, like, people making assumptions. You don't need to, like, do something weird and aggressive. And, like, because I really do, like, I think it's something that I think about a lot when we, like, the more we get into a consent culture, and, and I think that that is such an important thing, but I get really bummed out when it becomes like, okay, well, no one ever touches anyone ever. <laughs> because I do think to some extent, like, that is a way. I do think that, like, touching is a form of, like, even, like, different kinds of intimacy, like, even friend intimacy of, like, touching someone, it feels very, like, 
it's kind of it's also kind of saying like I'm here, right? And it's something right. I really like, and I, I I like when people do that. Well, and a friend a friend sent me an article a, a while ago, but it was basically st- I mean studies have shown that literally humans need we need touch, touch. yeah, we need, we need to be Harlow touched, and we need to be monkeys. hugs, we need to be yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly. Like we we just you know, and we're not, and you know we're not necessarily talking about like intimate sexual touching, like just the act of holding someone's hand of getting a hug from somebody of sitting on the couch you know next to a friend or whatever you know just like touch you know i'm personally as a blind as a blind person um touch is the touching is is an extremely intimate act i don't mind for me i don't mind being touched that's fine but i and i've gone over this with many improvers but (laughs) i have a really hard time initiating touch i'm the exact same way that's that's funny that's literally what i will always say in improv too is like that i am i love when people will touch me in a scene and i pretty much have never because i think part of it is like like in improv you to say you're okay with someone touching you is like you visually do that and so like I cannot pick up if someone is visually saying it's okay for you to because there is kind of like a nonverbal communication you can make about that right and I just don't nod you know nothing that we're gonna pick up right right exactly so I'm like if you touch me then also maybe I'm more likely to think it's okay for me to touch you so be aware of that but like (laughs) I mean you know and I've, I've tried I've really tried to be to be better like to be more open in that aspect like I you know I will touch people's shoulders or you know maybe grab their hand or whatever you know but you know the people yeah like the people that I do improv with like they know like I I don't care like touch me kiss me pull me push me do do whatever you want I I don't care but um I'm I'm probably not gonna do it to you right it is interesting and I mean I think that I want I want the discussion around consent to have more I think it's just beginning and it's a great thing to have and I I I just don't want us to lose asking because I think sometimes people are like okay well people don't want to be touched without being asked but then they forget it's like without being asked and like just people don't want to be touched ever and I'm just never going to do it I'm never going to see if they want me to do it and I'm just not going to do it at all well, that's, <laughs> that's why you check in before right. every improv show and play and rehearsal and ask what are you comfortable with? That today? would be a nice thing, like how people more and more like have pronouns in your emails, have pronouns when you say your name. Like, like I want I, that should be a good thing of like making that more normalized of like saying what your like physical, because oh, yeah, yeah. also no. like you can tie that into like what are your needs for accessibility, like you know what how is maybe because of a disability, how are you not able to do something but that can also involve like what are you comfortable with touching why like you know that that can be part of that discussion too and that would be helpful well and it's a speech that i yeah and it's a speech that i'm sure you're used to giving because it's a speech that i give all the time when you do a play or an improv or you know something theatrical like you have to or you're in a class you have to give the speech right (laughs) yes the okay the do you want to do each horse oh my god Well, fuck it. I mean, then you we can, could you just can edit like, out whatever you listen want. Listen to this podcast. Go to yeah, right. <laughs> Fifty-two minutes. Oh in. my god. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, let's see the speech. Uh, actually, I just had to give it recently at the play thing that I told you about. Yeah. So off mic, but yes. <laughs> yes, yes, off mic. Yes. I'm, I'm in a play. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, 
without naming like any names or anything. Uh, but yeah, so we uh, we gathered for warm ups and we were all in this giant circle because it's a play festival. So there's like eight different plays. Oh no! And there's like three people in each play. So there's like fifty of us. I mean, there. Oh no! There's a fuck that. ton of people. I hate that so much. Yep. So we get in the circle. They do their announcements about like what, where this is this the stage is this here and this is the door you need to exit through and da 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 da. And you know, the, does anybody else have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever? So inevitably, oh, you I, have to raise your hand. I raise my hand. Yep, and I'm like, I think that this is what I said. I said, um, "Hi, <laughs> you are working with someone who is legally blind. This means <laughs> I don't have any peripheral vision." I don't have any depth perception. Because of the makeup I am wearing for the play, I'm not wearing my glasses. Oh, no. I can see somewhat, but everything is going to be extremely blurry. Yeah. Um, do with that information what you will. It was kind of a truncated version of the speech. Yeah. But, yeah. And then, literally right after I gave the fucking speech, we played Zip Zap Zap. With 50 people, and I just kind of stood there. And I'm just like, (laughs) you didn't hear a goddamn word I said, did you? I feel so included right now. I get, I have so much trouble with, I'm I'm just like, we should never have more than 10 people in a circle. I like, I want to learn everyone's names, but I'm not going to learn it if you're that far away from me. (laughs) So like, I... And I appreciate that it is hard to accommodate it if you are going to be working with a big group of people. Like, I don't have a very good solution for it. But I think there's also, like, to some extent, you have to limit what can be gleaned. Like, if you just go around, do names and pronouns, and then also, like, because it's something that I have recently will not always have the place to talk about but I think I'll just say what will happen is when it comes up I'll mention it but I think that part of it is just having that confidence of saying like this is a good thing get on board with this (laughs) this makes me a better improviser yeah well and and there there are so many other warm-ups that we could have played that are accessible that would have been accessible to me yes you can play the clap game. You can play pass the sound. You can play Zoom. Well, Zoom shorts for Fabiana would have no, been harder. No, Never mind. Game. No, 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 no. No, so no. but you, but you can, very you know, you, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But you, you know, we, there, there are, I, of course, obviously I can't come up with like 50 off the top of my head, but. There's, I, most know. games are accessible, honestly, I think. I think there's like a handful that I don't that I struggle with a lot and I do you do the thing where you'll just be like hey I don't know if I can access this right like do you because I sometimes don't feel like I'm able to do it because I don't feel like it's a it's an environment where I can do it when it's when I know people and it's a smaller if it was a smaller group I probably would have made more of a stink about it but like you know this game is not it's I feel really I don't feel included right now but it was 50 people we had a, a full day of dress tech ahead of us and um 
I just didn't really feel like making waves. No, that's which is I think stupid. But no, no, it's not stupid. And I think I would have done the exact same thing because I think I think you're totally right with like I will do it when it's a smaller group and or when it's people I know better. Because um, sometimes like I'll be in a big group and I know a decent amount of the people, and so I can easily just be like, ah, oh, it's me, and then they'll be like, all oh, right, it's Sky, <laughs> you know. But it's like if it is a big group and especially if it's like also not a lot of people I know then I am much less likely well, yeah, to say and, anything. And there there are ways that, that I've adapted zip zap zap. I mean it's it's as simple as if you're going to uh do anything to me and you are across the room, you have got to say my name before you do it. Yeah, that's the ones like, I do. I'm cued in and I'm like, okay, I'm listening. I'm looking and I'm listening for my name. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, the, yeah, I, I can do that. That's That works. Sometimes I'll just be like, this is a good practice of like, I am much less likely to see you. So this is a good practice of being very intentional and like trying to even adapt how you play this game to suit me in the moment. Like I kind of give it as a challenge for other people. I'm like, I'm going to keep you on it. Like I'm going to make it, I make it harder for you, but it means that you have to play this game better. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's just, it's, it's hard because, you know, like, like we were talking about theater is, is the arts in general are incredibly visual like it's it's about yeah it's about it's about what you see and so a lot of people have never had to or don't want to or accommodate have thought about yeah accommodating uh yeah accommodating anybody and i think that 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 is the one nice thing about improv is you literally have to it's just all about accommodation like you accommodate all the able people too like you just everyone has to accommodate each other it doesn't work and so i think that's what's so great about it is it just built into the thing improv improv is yes and yeah hi i want to play yes and you know (laughs) yeah so well yeah i mean i've never i've never felt not included or discriminated against or you know anything like that when it comes to improv right because it's like if people because there's a lot about setting people up to do well and so like part of that is like you can set up sight of people to do well so it looks really shitty if they're like you know not accommodating you you know like it just it kind of makes it so that when you're not accommodated it's because the other person's being a bad improviser and so it's really nice because it I feel like a lot of times it falls on you like if you are not doing if you're not being accommodated so much of the time it's just like well you're not doing the right stuff like it makes it seem like you're doing something wrong like and so you start thinking like am I doing this wrong because like other people can do this I can't I know it really has to do with my blindness but still like no one's helping so maybe I am the problem you know like you just it's really hard not to kind well, of fall then, down that rabbit hole yes and that and that's exactly what happened on sunday and i literally had to be like okay stop like you've you've been in this situation before it's a group warm-up fuck the group warm-up yeah you know i can either go warm up myself or we we all my play like our actors and my director we warmed up on our own anyway yeah so that you know cares. so and i'm i'm just like okay and by the time by the time the first play was had done their tech and run through, I was fine. Like I, I was fine, but yeah. I'm just I'm just like you know it just it hurts a little bit. You know I can't say it doesn't hurt. It's a little it's it's a little bit of a of a slap in the face. Like I just spent you know three minutes telling you what about myself. Yeah. You know, and the fact that I I can't see like three feet in front of my face. You know, and okay, let's go. Let's play this warm up. It is really true that, like, that is 
such a big thing of like when you have vocalized that you can't do something when the kind of group mentality is like okay well we like this one like then you instantly are like okay so I'm not welcome here (laughs) no exactly and I know I know deep down in my soul like that is not at all what what they were going for right but it's you know but but it's understandable also that you feel that way like it is like a general like humans are so sensitive to like feeling left out and that is just another way that disabled people can instantly feel left out is if they vocalize what they need and then it's just completely ignored or like the fact that other people want a different thing is like it's like well okay but there's more people who want to do this it's like okay well I can't even participate though <laughs> so like well, that should like, matter oh more God. than preference yes no and it's it's like the the fucking um have you ever played the cup game uh, I refuse I think I think it's what I'm, I'm, sh- I'm, like, I'm no. sure you I know you would um, <laughs> so you're in you're in a circle and you have a paper cup or a red solo cup or whatever and the object is is to hit the cup and keep it from hitting the ground Good fucking luck. So you're just supposed to... You hit the cup to each other. Like, it's just kind of like one of those beach ball things. Yeah, you like keep away. But instead of doing but it with a, a, cup with a is round... so unaerodynamic. Yes, I know. That's I think that's the whole point is like you that's really stupid. have to work at it. But instead of doing it with like a round object or a bright colored object or a big object, we do it with a red solo cup. I love things where it's like, can you see... <laughs> We're going to get good at being visually capable. It's like, oh, honestly. Well, and it's like, it's like the way my, like, so I have no hand, hand-eye coordination. It's gone. Yeah, like, I just too. don't have it. I don't. So I will, and I'm, I'm trying to, because people are like, we hit it right to you. And I'm like, how can I explain? <gasps> well, you know, they didn't, they meant well. Like, know. you know, they really wanted me to be included. Like, so they would literally do everything in their power to hit it to me. And I, it's literally like, I look, it's like playing tennis. Like, I see the tennis ball. I know I am supposed to hit the tennis ball, but that doesn't. But the literally the messages are not happening at the same time. It well, you don't. It, is, it, it takes too long to process yes. the visual information. I have to process that a tennis ball is coming towards my face. And then face. it's already gone. And it's, yeah, Which it's, is why I have the reaction anytime I'm doing any sports is to just like have the, I mean, you, this is not flail, visual, but. You flail your just, arms around like a. Or I just like, I'm just like a ball is hitting my face. Because yes. that is the, that is the fastest reaction. So that's always the one is like a ball is about to hit my face. Duck. Like that is the only reaction yeah. that it can happen fast enough. Oh yeah, no, so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I totally, I totally get that. So if I'm playing this game or whatever, like I will see it and I can maybe put my hands up, but it's I'm never gonna get it. Get it, yeah. You know, yeah. and I think that like I think that's something to just in general for another sighted person PSA. <laughs> but I think it is like sometimes you. I think. We are going to self-select. If there is a sport where we just can't play it, we're not going to try. Like, you know, we're adults. We're not going to, like, yep. join a baseball league. Nope. You know, there's not – there's some things that I just don't think blind people are like, well, why? This is too much work. Well, <laughs> and, and sports sports can be so um, uninclusive. You yeah. Feel, you feel like you are – I've never felt – except unless the sport was an accessible sport, because I've done those. Yeah. You never – I have never felt welcome in the in the ath- athletic field are uh, doing so anything. Able centered, and they're really like they're. I mean, because a lot of sports these days makes able people like disabled, and they're like the su- the hyper able. Like it's so like genetically specific. 
And then you, like, and, I think and, each sport is tailored toward pe- to people who are, like, actually abnormal in their, in the genetic makeup they have. I totally get what you're saying about being, like, hyper, that's a really great term, hyper able. Yes, because if you're, if you're super tall, you play basketball. Right. If you're a big guy, you play football. If you're fast, you play soccer. And agile, you play soccer. Or, you, you know, like, run. Or you run, exactly. Um, but, yeah, and so I think that that. And then when it's competition, it, I mean, you know, because I think about, like, is the Special Olympics Olympics offensive? But then it's just, like, competition is inherently problematic for disabled people because we don't get to play by the same rules. And so in that way, it's, like, it makes sense to separate it. But yeah. the part of me, I'm just, like, what is the value of competition after? I mean, living in a capitalist society doesn't seem like it does a lot of good. But I don't know. I mean, I guess it's not really fun if there's, if it's just everyone's, you know, if there's no point to it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, well, and we, and we were talking about, like, reality TV and competition reality, and I'm like, yeah, I don't give a fuck about sports, but, you know, I will watch 60 people sing until they're blue in the face. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, it like, is. And that's a skill. That's, that's the same as you train your voice like you train for a, a basketball game, you know? Yeah. And that's the same with being an actor. Well, and people also are, like, their perfect pitch is, is some... I think it's mostly genetic. Like, I don't... I think most people... Oh, yeah, all you y'all... You can hone it, but it is, like, you have yeah. to be born with no, it. No, all but, y'all who assume that blind people have perfect pitch can go fuck yourselves because <laughs> we do not. Why assume that? We do not. Oh, Lord, that's a... <laughs> that's a story for another time. Oh, my gosh. That's, I, that's an audition I should have gotten and totally didn't oh, get. No. Anyway. I definitely don't have perfect pitch. I do have a very good internal metronome because that's another one. Like, people become drummers. Like, just, I can keep a beat so hard. I'm so good at that. I cannot. I I have no idea about notes. (laughs) But that's why I was a drummer in elementary school. But I gave up because I couldn't see. Um, (laughs) As always. Anyway, that's a story for You're another the day. drummer, though. <laughs> what notes are you reading? Well, it was banned in, like, elementary school, so okay. we had to, like, all do the, read the oh, notes. Oh, gotcha. And I was just, like, I had to memorize it, and then I would, like, forget a bar. I would just kind of, like, just go mm. into the wrong part because I had to memorize it. I couldn't actually look. And then it would be like, well, you should learn the notes. And I'm like, it's, I don't know, because <laughs> I was undiagnosed, so I was just like, um, I don't... Th- think that will help yeah, if no. I learn the notes because no. I don't I half still have to half it. of my time half of my time in in orchestra in the sixth grade because when you get when you got into the sixth grade you have the privilege of taking band or orchestra so I took orchestra and I played played the violin Ooh. I don't I kind of wish I would have played cello or bass because like they're sick like they're amazing they're cool uh, violins and violas are great too but uh, I, there's something I'm about there's something about a, a cello dope. and a bass uh anyway yeah um I would, especially in concert, I would fake it a lot of the times. You would just not play? I just wouldn't play. Or yeah. I would play the the only four or five notes that I had memorized that I knew mm-hmm. in the song. I think I did the same thing. Yep. Yeah. And then I would just pretend and smile. Because they're always like, smile, smile, smile. And I would just have this like, just like this look of absolute I, concentration because I had to I concentrate. I feel like the exact same thing happened to me. Because I remember people being like very weird commenting on the weirdest stuff where I'm like wait isn't this isn't I supposed to be playing music not like looking a certain way 
<laughs> not that I could like do that very well because I yeah I think I did the exact same thing of just being like I know very small parts of it and then just not really playing because I did not feel confident enough in yeah I d- definitely didn't want to fuck anything up but you know. no exactly I was like I don't as long as they can't hear me everything's right. okay as long as there's enough people but that's why i gave up in middle school anyway this is sad so <laughs> story sad. for another so um mm-hmm. but back to the movie since we've oh my very <laughs> we're just taking a long walk yes yeah, so we were talking about touching and I, I i do remember what i wanted to say so um touching so that scene and then um just seeing him uh just little things like seeing him navigate the world, you know, correctly um, yeah. with his cane and... And the way that Ray Fiennes, like, plays it, I was pretty impressed with, which is mm-hmm. weird because I was looking up stuff online and people were like, he forgets that he's blind half the time. I'm like, I don't know. Oh, really? Point, like, point I think out, you're just... Like, the place because... I think it was just like, as critics, they're not blind either. And so they were just like saying like, oh, you know, a blinded person... It's just, it seemed like to be like ableism because I thought as a blind person, it seemed pretty accurate to me. And so I assumed that it was just the writers were like, well, he wasn't incompetent enough. He like was too, like, he was too aware of what was going on to be blind. I mean, <laughs> I mean, guys, he runs into one plant. You got your one plant. Well, but that's what I love so much about it was like so many characters just like, I felt like the two times that he ran into something were so specific and correct because the first time was like when he is slept the night at the his club and he's walking around in the like going downstairs from the club and bumps into something on the stage and the and Sophia is there and she's like oh my gosh don't you need to use your cane the cleaning person came and moved everything around and and it was so nice because like we see him in the club in another scene where he's not even using the cane because he knows his own club he knows like where everything is because that's how blindness works you learn the spaces you inhabit all the time and so when someone comes and moves everything around that is the time because it was totally played like as a real a real thing because nowhere else in the movie was he bumping into stuff but at a time that you would bump into stuff which is when someone's moved around your furniture well and even even at the end when he gets out of when he gets out of the car and runs to the docks at the uh, his driver is begging him not to um i was scared because like that's a it was a huge crowd of people a panicked crowd of people and I'm like oh my god you know but I never thought uh he'll never get there because I'm like he must know he knows where that is where he's going right and this is like the the basically I mean it's the climax but it's also like there's barely a denouement yeah 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 yeah, Yeah. but it is but I think that that is such a great portrayal of the disorientation of blindness like I really loved how much I related like because I really just I related to his character so much and I feel like a lot of times when you have a blind character you're like what? what's happening <laughs> like why would why is this person acting this way I'm supposed to relate to them but I don't um whereas I felt so much like you understand the disorientation like he is um I guess we can kind of set up what the the scene is but it's 
near the end of the film, it is as Japanese forces are invading Shanghai. So basically, as many people as possible are just like in that day leaving Shanghai they're, yeah, on both. They're all going. Most of them are trying to get out of Hong Kong, like all or a, get a, to Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, get yeah. to Hong Kong. A lot, a lot of the white people are trying to get to Hong Kong because <laughs> right. it's because uh, it's, it's British. British. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and then there, yeah, and some of them are going to other places in China, but they're basically like everyone's just trying to get out of Shanghai, and there's just chaos and um, because they're everyone is going to the docks as uh, um, Ray finds his character is going towards, he's like, I'm going to my club. And his driver is like, don't do that, which I think you mentioned before. Um, And he's like, no, I'm not going to not go to my club. Does he have a specific reason? I mean, I think, like, I I understood it because it's like the familiarity of it. (laughs) Well, that, that, and I think he was actually trying to meet Sophia there. Oh, was she supposed to be there? I don't remember if she was supposed to be there, but he gives he, her money right, to go. But and he found out that she didn't go. But it then, because he goes to the club, and I think he finds out that she didn't go at the club, though. Oh, you're right. You're so right. I don't think that's why. Okay. I, I think it was. It's not. He doesn't have a clear reason to go back to the club, other than just like I'm not, you know, gonna let people down. Is well, sort of that, the thing. That and because because then he has the the meeting with Mashido at the club, right? And I think maybe he was trying to like protect it in some vague sense. Because like spoiler alert for the entire movie, like you, we see the club get destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at the very end. The very, very end. Yeah. And it is kind of supposed to, I guess, be like a metaphor it's, of the microcosm of Shanghai at the yeah, time. Yeah, that, that and his little little um, piece of happiness. Right, and that's a lot of the movie. I think that's kind of the rhetorical connection that the movie makes to blindness because no movie can just have a blind character for you know, whatever sake, it's always, it always has to be some sort of metaphorical thing too. That's <laughs> fine. Uh, but, but the metaphorical thing in this movie is that, um, he is not, he's wanting the world to be in his image, kind of, not in his image, but like in the image that's in his head. And he's kind of projecting the that onto it's his, the world in a way. It's his last hold on sighted memory, I think. Oh, I did not because that's because that that's I mean because he's born with sight and loses it in an in an accident, right? You know, so he is like fixated on this one goal, this thing that this thing that he wants to accomplish. And he was, he's always like, it's in my head. It's in my head. Like everything, everything is in my head. So I, I don't know. I just took it as like the last vestiges of, of, um, Interesting. him, of him having vision. his vision, his sight, of, his sighted That memory. he's holding on to. Huh. He wants everything to be, you know, to be perfect. He wants it the way he wants it, which, you know, he's the club owner, you know, well, he can have that. Yeah. And that's, I think kind of the, the, argument of the movie is like he can have it within the walls of the club but eventually the the rest of the world is going to invade invade it yeah like that you can't make like that this utopian idea is is ultimately like foolhardy um which you know 
is true. <laughs> um, and I think that, like, I don't know exactly how I feel about that being his whole thing because I, I think that the movie definitely portrays him as being very much enforcing that because there's also another thing that happens is that near kind of near the end um Sophia's character like we find out and that's actually when he bumps into all the stuff during that scene we find out that Ray Fiennes was like making it so that neither of them talked about their family life and would like police it I think it's not it's, I said it was near the end, but I think it's more near it's in the, the middle. middle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and he didn't, I mean, obviously he doesn't hold to that, but but we learned that that is kind of their working their relationship. Which yeah. I feel like that could have been, if you're going to do that, it should have been introduced, because it was introduced right as it was starting to, like, break apart. <laughs> well, I think, I think that whole thing comes up because um, it's also the club, the, oh, I just got something too. The club could also represent his wife and his old life literally Mm. being destroyed right like he's stuck not stuck but like he's in shanghai he's just lost his daughter and his wife yeah so obviously he doesn't want to get close to sophia because he's just not he's just not ready yet yeah ready to feel and what does sophia have katya right her daughter daughter. and so there's and that is part of the uh, agreement is like neither of them talk about their lives and so yeah part of it I think is both to protect it's to protect him from thinking about his daughter I think really it's kind of shown in both ways like he doesn't want to hear about her daughter because it protects him from thinking about his own and he also doesn't want to talk about his own daughter because it's painful to talk about so he's kind of like so it's very much about him like suppressing like kind of being going in within himself and like carrying the trauma silently and but feeling like he can't let it out which I mean is masculinity like that's a problem of like not you know being able to talk about trauma I think is a Mm -hmm. common thing that comes up especially I feel like well I, I mean I think it is kind of a toxic masculinity thing of like needing to bottle up trauma um and I feel like he's very much like a problematic male character when he does that it feels so like toxic masculinity kind of thing when he's like we don't talk about our families which <laughs> is not a very effective way well, of dealing with trauma no no and it's also it's also just it's another just cliche like you know yeah oh, and, well, and i don't <sighs> and then they're gonna and then they're gonna start talking and they do right which you know? that's why i wish like it bothered me that it wasn't introduced earlier because it did feel like it, they introduced it just because it didn't, they didn't even hint at that before, and there was plenty of time to introduce that as an idea. But they only introduce it when it's like, okay, well now we need to break this idea because it instantly is broken down when, she, like, she's like, oh, we don't. I know we agreed to not talk about our family, and then like the next scene is like them starting to chip away at that. <laughs> you know, it's like instantly that it's introduced so that it can instantly be um, transformed. So another thing I liked, um, and I don't know. I don't know how much my two cents about this matters because, you know, I'm not fully blind, but I'm not fully sighted either. But did you notice, especially when he, when Ray Fiennes and Mr. Machido are talking, um, their conversations are never shot like a two shot. One person talks, the other person talks. One person talks, they're shot head on and sideways because Ray Fiennes 
is never truly looking at him. Yeah. He's almost always got his head, almost in every scene, his head is down, tilted down a little ways. Yeah, his, I mean, I, I thought they did a very good job with the eye lines. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they weren't, they were probably in the same place. Anytime there's, you never seen two people in the same shot, you're like, were they, were they not able to get them at the same time? <laughs> but I, I doubt that's it. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I think that that is really interesting. I don't, yeah, that the way that they're positioned is always a little bit, they're never directly on. Though I feel like sometimes, does does he... He, he does look, especially like, um, especially when he's talking to Sophia, he does look at her. That's what I was going to say. He, he yeah. Does. Yeah. So maybe, you know, maybe it's, it's like, you know, he loves Sophia, trusts Sophia. So he's going to look at her and he's a little wary of Mashido, but I don't know. That doesn't sound right either because they become friends. I mean, technically. Well, they become friends, but I think that makes more sense because I think that I, I, I do think there's some validity to that because the, um, Mashido's. Mr. Matsuda, who I have been, whose name I have been saying wrong the entire time. Right. I apologize. His name, his name is Mr. Matsuda. Right. And he, um, I think that like his character is always trying to have Ray find this kind of like enabling all his ideas about the perfect world he wants to create. Which is, is makes sense because he's basically running the Japanese invasion. Right. Wherever wherever uh, Matsuda goes, Japan follows, essentially. Right, um, which is kind of like the climactic. I feel like I've said like 10 things more climactic, but the climax is very complicated. So in my defense, these all are all part of the climax. Um, but, but you do, that's kind of like the very beginning of it is um, that you you see that um or you hear uh one of the characters tell the just kind of like ancillary characters that works with Ray Fiennes' character um like says something about how every time Matsudo goes to a new city the Japanese invade and like we don't know that until near the end um so during the entire movie like at the very beginning of the movie starts with like them with Ray finds a Matsudo meeting um, in, uh, like, a bar, I guess. They just kind of, I guess they kind of meet there. Like, they they start talking to each other there. Yeah, they meet at the little club. Yeah. Because it's, like, a very packed club. Yes. Honestly, that was the one thing where I was like, this seems so stressful. As a blind person, I would never be like, I want to be here. (laughs) Oh, I know, right? I was like, are you... Okay. Hey, you know what? To each his own, I guess. Honestly, that probably that and the feeling the face thing are the two most unrealistic things in the entire movie. And I don't know why they start with that club and him being and him enjoying it because I'm like, I would not want to be there. Well, I think I honestly, I think that's it's for sighted people. It's saying, oh, look at me. I'm a blind person, but I go to these little clubs, you know, these, I go, I go to the, the weird off the wall, scuzzy places, you know, I I go to the places that, um, nobody else, uh, that, you know, the high society, the high society will frequent and I'm blind. So it's basically, it's basically a red flag for sighted people like, oh, 
this guy's blind, but he well, is, that's not going to stop him. It's the it is the first if I think because I think it is like the first scene we see him, but it is a screenwriting thing where it's like the first time you see a character, they have to be doing something that really sets up who they are as a character, right. and so that's kind of it, like a yeah a representation goes, yeah of he, that. He goes against the grain. He doesn't but he doesn't care what other people think. He's in a very crowded club, and I've never met a blind person who'd want to <laughs> yeah, be in no. that club. But yeah, no, 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 no. Other no, than no, that, no. it's crowded <laughs> and it's noisy, and he's yeah, standing. The, yes, he's standing at the bar, not getting a drink. Or yeah. no, 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 wait, no, does he have a drink? I can't remember. But yeah, I'm just like, well, this. Okay, why what? are you there? Like, this is yeah, it, that is a situation. I would instantly be like, I want to leave. I don't want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like sensory overload, and he's taught like yes. I don't know how he could like focus on what Matsuda is. That now did I am I saying it wrong? Masuda. Okay. Oh God, I know. I feel like, but he's not. I don't know how, because they're having a conversation, and I do not know how he is able to understand what Matsuda is saying. Yeah, no, I have. Because it's a lot. Of I have no clue. I mean, it's. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, yeah. So there's that. Um, but oh, yeah. Uh, at, at the horse, at the horse racing track. So he he tells Matsuda, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna bet one of these days. I'm gonna bet everything on a horse. I'm gonna win, and then I'm gonna open my own club." Right. And Matsuda's just like cool bro you know yeah all right do that do that and so he does and he wins and he opens yeah that's how he opens i'm assuming that's how he opens the white countess but the it is, neat yeah. thing yeah the neat thing at the racetrack i don't know if you noticed um what he's doing while the horses are running um he's like galloping he's riding a horse oh yeah yeah, yeah. so obviously in his sighted life he rode horses that he must have that would make sense mm-hmm I just thought that was a really cool, like, visual. Like, there's no dialogue. It's just you cut the horses, and then he's galloping. making like he's riding a horse. And then you cut back and cut back, and he's ga- still galloping on the horse. And he's, like, making all the hand gestures and everything. And I, I just thought that was really cool. It is It is something I thought a lot about because I feel like for the beginning of my life, I was so focused on, like, how I was coming off to other people and, like, not doing very weird outlandish things in public at a certain point, it clicked that, like, well, I can't really see the people around me, so what do I have to lose? <laughs> well, yeah, no, because I kept, yeah, I I kept thinking, I kept, yeah, no, 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 because I kept thinking, like, oh, my God, people are going to see him. Oh, my God, are they thinking, are they going to think he's, like, having a seizure or yeah. whatever? But nobody does. Right, no one pays it. But I think that that's, like, something that I think it can kind of go either way because I know in my life I've had both where I'm like hyper aware of how I'm being perceived by others because mm-hmm. I have no idea how I'm being perceived because I can't see anyone and like and so that could be either completely paralyzing or that can be very freeing and that you're like well who cares <laughs> like these are strangers I can't even see them like, why do I care what they're doing <laughs> like what they're thinking like about me that's just like so beside the point <laughs> you know <laughs> and so I think that there is that but I think most blind people probably have at least one or the other at any given time and you know i think it changes as you're at different points in life like you feel differently but i think it is interesting to like have a character that is that has that kind of like freedom of just doing whatever they want in public because they don't have to worry about what other people think because they're not really having to engage with those people <laughs> as much and yeah and another thing i liked about his character is he's he's also not like an idiot savant like he but he's he's also and he's not a super crip yeah like there isn't one thing that he can just like do better than everything than everybody else there right. isn't there isn't a scene of him like 
say like literally saving somebody like yes there's the scene with him and Sophia on the dock and and the neighbor and they're trying to get Katya out of the boat but yeah but that's like he yeah but he talks to her he doesn't extend his cane he doesn't jump in and try and save her yeah you know a lot of it like it really shows his strengths are reasonably (laughs) blind people's strengths yeah like they feel well it is funny because he also like saves her by giving her money in the beginning or that's like part which is like has nothing to do with the blindness it is much more about class yeah yeah that's how how the family gets the passports and heads to hong kong and then they basically just fuck sophia over because they're like yeah "Yeah, we have all the papers and uh we didn't get any for you but we're gonna take your daughter. And it's just like I was okay, like, whoa, you're gonna whoa, whoa, die. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This yeah. is so hor. I was. I mean, like they're horrible from the very first moment. Like, cause they're just so fucking like horrible about her being a sex worker they're and ungrateful. so fucking shitty about it. Like that, it made me furious. And they just get worse and worse. To her fucking family. It's just well, this and I mean, here. Yeah, and I mean, and 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 Sophia asks, you know, Krushna. <laughs> To take care of Katya, like, if anything happens to her. But I'm just like... they, like, gaslight her. Like, I feel like the entire movie there... And I, I do kind of... I do feel like it is, like, a realistic portrayal, again, of, like, someone who's being gaslit about her life so much. And I think that, like, that... You know, and then you can come into the questions of, like, when are we going to see, like, sex workers in a more, you know positive like where they're not being gaslit by society but we're not there yet um, <laughs> like I guess it's the same with disability probably too but well, yeah. but at least it's more true to life yeah well I mean I think <laughs> yeah and I think Krishna thought that you know she could obviously she could give Katya a better life because you know her mother is you know is is uh is a sex worker basically and and well you know there's that there's also that one scene with no dialogue where Sophia comes home and finds Katya has put on all her makeup yeah. But, you know, instead of, like, screaming at her or shunning her or whatever, she just takes her into her arms and hugs her and cries. Well, because Sophia's, like, a very good mom. She's a wonderful mother. That's, all, the that's rest also, of I'm like, are psychopaths. You, you are trying to tear this daughter away from this woman who's a really good right, mom. Right, like, their plan to take the daughter, it's just so, and it, I mean, at least the daughter knows that, like, the mom is the safe pure adults like she is not it's not there's no question like she does not feel safe with the rest of the family and definitely has is very close to Sophia. well she'd rather spend time with her mother obviously or mr feinstein the neighbor downstairs yeah his family i liked that i mean they so that character gets introduced really pretty far into the movie I believe. No, no, you meet him. You, you don't. Am I wrong? You don't necessarily meet him yet, but you see his children because she Katya asked if she can go play with the neighbor downstairs, oh. and of course Krushna or somebody is like, like oh, the, the Jew. filthy Jew right, downstairs. Right. Yeah, but she goes anyway. Right, um, right, because they're like, <laughs> they can't just be horribly sexist and <laughs> no, they're also anti-Semitic. Yes. <laughs> What a what a fabulous family! I they're just so hideous. <laughs> just like, well, it's like, but it's like it's it's they're all royalty, right? Right. So they didn't have to a... deal with any of this in Russia. I'm and guessing. that they're very like 
we're not stooping so low, right. but it's like, except for, you but know, Sophia, you have to. <laughs> yeah, right. But Sophia has, like, Sophia has adapted. Right. She's like just a better person, basically. Like, mm-hmm. she, she does. And I think that that's like something that the, both of the characters, um, Oh, okay, so one is where he finds his character. Todd Jackson. Mr. Todd Jackson. Jackson. <laughs> Mr. Jackson. That is like, that is like he he found an American name generator. Yeah, it's <laughs> the like, most I American. I need an American name. Todd Jackson. That's true. Yeah. I mean, they're very, it's very on the nose. Um, but yeah, so Mr. Jackson. Uh, but him and Sophia, I feel like both have that quality of like adaptation and like feeling kind of just like, well, you know, this is the position that I've been put in, and so I'm going to make the best of this situation. And, like, and being kind of non-judgmental and, like, you know, having... Because I think both of them have fallen from privilege in a way. You know, like, they both are characters that had privilege they no longer have. And uh, I think navigating those dynamics of, like, still maintaining some privilege but then being completely thrown into a different kind of class of people basically <laughs> in in a different way and how they are just so much more adaptable than some of I mean I guess you can see the foil of Sophia's the family but I don't I guess Mr. Jackson it's, he doesn't really have the same kind of, of well no he does have sorry he does have foil characters cuz everyone in the business which one exactly is his business? He's a diplomat, God, but then it's know. very unclear what he, he does works, for work. Yeah, he works for some, like, law firm or something. Yeah, it's a very firm, big. A firm that doesn't want him anymore. Right, because they kind of just are like, why, why are you associating with the poor people? Like, because it is kind of funny. Like, both of the, them, the, the Russian family and the company people are both... <laughs> Just completely like non. That like I mean maybe I'm sure it's real prejudice, but it's so fucking on the nose and extreme. Like you know, and 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 to that to that I say, it's a Merchant Ivory film. Yeah, like you're not not getting subtlety. You're not gonna get. You're not going to a Merchant Ivory film for subtlety. Yeah, I mean yeah. yet somehow the blind character is probably the most real. I mean you know most blind characters aren't as subtly real <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that maybe it's not subtlety maybe it's just well and I mean reality. also also the theme of like touching if you think about like literally the first shot yeah, you see true. of him is you see the cane and you see his hand yeah. on, the, on the chair and I thought to myself okay this must be their blind character because that's cinematic language for <laughs> yeah. this person is blind because uh, then you they, you pan up and you see his head is tilted forward but you also um his eyes are kept in shadow a lot of the time. I thought that was a really useful way of portraying blindness, but yet not having to do anything to his eyes. Because when you look yeah. at his eyes like full on, and he's looking at somebody, sometimes like, they are focused. They're on so the person, you're yeah. like, I'm like, this, this is a sighted person's eyes. Okay, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah, is true. Yeah. Which is maybe what the to give those reviewers I read credit that might be what they're talking about. <laughs> But yeah, I know what you mean. Though, okay, so there's one moment that um, I don't want to forget to talk about that I really loved, which is when they, the scene where they see him um, at the cafe. Right. Listening basically to comedy podcasts is what I was saying. I'm like, that's me. I do that because he's just sitting there laughing at the radio. And I loved it so much because I've definitely been someone who sat alone at a table laughing 
in public and then be like what and then like sort of being self-conscious about it but also be like whatever you know so I relate that I related so hard in that moment yes the worst (laughs) the worst is when you're listening to like this American life or like whatever and you're crying oh my god I've cried on the bus openly weeping there was like a a this American life (laughs) episode where like Tom York was talking about um have to have have you heard do you listen to it every week yeah almost every week well and then i backed i have to backtrack and listen to the because this was like maybe like a couple it might have been as much as a couple years ago but maybe like a year ago oh i probably heard it but don't remember there was like it's an episode where (laughs) just talking about this freaking life (laughs) there's an episode where they're like uh, um talking about different uh the like i think it's Teen Vogue did like these vi- this video series where they in it might be a different thing but it's some some like teen girl newspaper something where they did this series of just like famous people talking giving like girls advice um mm. and and there is one with Tom York where he talks about how he has um a scar on his eye and how he used to be so self-conscious about it and then at a certain point he realized that like that is what that is one of the most beautiful things about him and like and and I, oh my God, I'm not gonna do a very good job. Oh, <laughs> like no. I was like crying oh, off the oh. bus. <laughs> just like, I don't know. I love Tommy York a lot. Just like his music is very important to me. And then just like talking about something that's so, so relatable. Oh, there, uh, there is, there is a. Um, you can get it on the rely, the rely, reply all feed or the Radio Lab podcast feed, and it's just the, the episode is called the Cathedral. It's oh yeah, because I, I listen to Reply All. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and, fucking beautiful. I mean, it's just it's it's literally one of the best podcast episodes I have heard in a in a long time, and it's very sad. It's very sad. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just like I'm eating a fucking breakfast burrito and just, <laughs> ugh, just like, crying on the max in my fucking <laughs> breakfast burrito. At least when you're crying on a bus, I'm always like, well, at least someone could be like, maybe she's sad. I feel like when you're laughing, it's a little bit weirder. (laughs) Well, I feel, I get get really nervous now to laugh on a, especially on a bus because like everybody's seen Joker, right? Oh, nobody wants that. Is that like, uh, it's so funny. I've actually once had a bus driver who's like, what are you listening to? And I was like, oh, he's like, yeah, you were laughing. (laughs) And I was like, oh no, it's a comedy podcast. Oh my god! So his in the movie Joaquin character's character, the Joker, Joaquin Phoenix's character, the Joker, has um, a a mental disability that um, when he gets panicked or stressed or when something is awkward, he laughs. Isn't that human beings all do that? I mean, y- yes, but like his is like he physically can't control it. Like, right. It's just it that hurts. Is it. it hurts. It's it's kind of amazing to watch, and he's playing with a with a kid on on the bus because he's a clown or in the movie you know he's a a clown he's a clown because he's a party clown he's a literal clown he's a literal clown so yes yes so he's playing peekaboo with this kid on the bus and the mother sees them and stay away from my son you know and that spooks him and he just starts laughing 
uncontrolled. I mean, you just cannot control. It. It's like it's just this physical thing. That, it's a tick, but it's a horrible. Oh, okay, tick so it's like that, like kind of like a Tourette's to, thing. Kind, like, I guess, kind of, but not really. I, I mean, know. you can't really look to the DC universe for like no. a very accurate, oh, God, and no. non-offensive portrayals oh, of of mental illness. Yeah, exactly. But no, we need to talk about Arkham, not today, but <laughs> we will. <laughs> oh my God! Oh my God! Someone oh, needs to God. talk about it. I'm yeah. sure people have, but I'm happy to do it at some point. Though we have we have gone on so many great tangents <laughs> we probably should no, not there, do there it was, this episode yeah no yes yes there was a great panel at rose city last year actually that talked about mental illness and comics it was one of the few i could go to nice and um unfortunately we did not talk nearly enough about arkham and dc in yeah. general because i'm like you really want to yeah yeah just even I the mean, way that they deal with like abuse and like domestic violence stuff, I think about that a lot. It's well, like it's, working with survivors. It's, har- it's violence, Harley like. Quinn and the Joker. Yeah, and and just the way that they like make her seem complicit when it's like she is in a, in like an extremely abusive relationship, and like that's the fact that she's villainized just feels very like. However, in in DC's humble defense, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know how um, uh, how if you keep up with DC at all, but, um, they are very, very slowly and now more quicker are actually turning Harley's character around. That's, that Um, seems like they should be doing that. Yes. Yes. She is. (laughs) Cause Suicide Squad. I mean, no, 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 no. Fuck, fuck Suicide Squad. No, no, no. No. Harley is no longer with the Joker. She is her own person. She's having a thing with poison Ivy on the side. Oh, so yes. she's a queer character. Yes, Har- Harley's that. bi. Yeah, and is she still villain? She's an antihero. She is. She's in the same same sta- status well, as like, like Catwoman is. <laughs> he's sort of an antihero. Yeah. Oh, there's well, so he's much rich, to talk about. So Batman. I guess he's yeah. not an antihero. No, I kidding. mean, <laughs> he's Batman is a hero, but Batman is also a psychopath. <laughs> he's a little, yeah. He could definitely range in the toxic masculinity. Depending on the portrayal, but I mean, but generally pretty high up there. Um, Um, No, the um, no, the the animated series, the the new animated Harley Quinn series on DC Universe. It's good. It's the only reason I subscribe to that DC Universe is to watch that show. It's amazing. I uh, at some point I'll have to check it out. Um, It's Alan Tudyk's in it, and he plays the Joker and Clayface. Clayface, wait, I don't, I don't, is this another villain? Yes, so Clayface oh, no, is, my, my lore, no, you're fine, I, I guess it's DC, no, I, and I grew lore. up, I grew up on DC, so I'm, I'm not an expert by any means, I grew up on I, comics, I know my way theoretically, I'm just very bad at remembering everything, <laughs> no, so Clayface is, know. Clayface is, the equivalent to Clayface would be Sandman in the, in the Marvel comics, he's, he's completely made of clay, and Wait, as as Sandman such, is Sandman is dark. one of Spider-Man's villains. Oh, okay. Yeah, but they're essentially they're the same because they both have they can both rearrange their molecular structure to shape shift into anything or anyone. Oh, okay. That's so that's his whole shtick. But in this in this series, his whole shtick is he's a failed actor, <laughs> and it's amazing. That sounds like fun. Yes, it's wonderful. 
Yes. But, okay. Well, that's a good... Though we should say that for recommending things. In the oh, end. my God. Yes. I can just talk about that. I can talk about that all day. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. No, that's... that. It, I, I'll, I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, yeah. So, to get back to that scene where he's laughing in the cafe, the thing that I also really liked in that scene is, like, when the daughter... At one point, they, the daughter is the one who's like, okay, we're going to... Like, isn't that because sh- she's never met him? Um, Katya is her name, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the she had not met um, Mr. Jackson before, um, and so she just sees that there's a blind guy, and she's like, "Oh, is that is that your per- is that the person that you?" Because obviously, for? there's only one blind, one blind man person in Shanghai. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, he is, like, a white person. So, I mean, like, it could... It's not that bad of, like, a... I don't know how many, like, white, like, blind people would just be sitting in a cafe in the area. I mean, it's no, not I that mean, much, like... I'm just... I'm, I'm, I'm yanking your chain. I mean, the, <laughs> fact, the fact that... The, the, the fact that she's actually never seen him, which is something I literally just realized right that second was like oh yeah she's never she doesn't know what he looks like no she's only heard her mother talk about him right so So. she just knows details about him that i guess were enough to tell it is it's like sort of suspending disbelief but then i like it didn't break it for me i was like yeah she she probably has enough information to like make it and also kids are always just like make weird assumptions (laughs) and it just sometimes they're true um (laughs) but um but yeah, so she's like, but because they're like, well, we're not supposed to be like talking about our families to each other, or she's not, or Sophia's not supposed to talk to him about Katya. Um, Sophia's like, oh, then let's go, let's go, let's not talk to him, let's not bother him. Um, and then Katya goes back and is like, hey, hey, is it, are you Mr. Jackson or whatever? I don't know what she says exactly, but like, just runs back and to talk to him. And at one point when they're talking, she like is talking to him and he's making kind of like eye contact with her and then she just like runs around him and he just keeps making eye contact because I think he's like talking to her at the time and I really like that because it was very subtle but like it was just like it was kind of thinking through how blindness actually works it was like one of those subtle ways of being like if she's not saying anything and he's and he's having a conversation with her like he look he's looking where she was and so he wouldn't register when she just like randomly runs to the side and I, I, it was just one of those subtle things that I appreciated because it wasn't like that much fanfare it was just kind of like cute choreography kind of I don't know but that was the scene <laughs> that was that scene no, that's, that's a good scene well and that that also because I first I, hearing you explain it I was like Cause yeah, she Katya runs up to him and he doesn't acknowledge her at first. Right, right. I'm That's like, another is, thing. Yeah, is, is it because a he might he just she's a little girl and he might not want to deal with a little girl right now? Oh, well, because she I says hey, that, hey, but, hey, right. Or b does he just assume oh shit this this must be Sophia's daughter? Like why would a a little girl be talking to me? Or he's having uh he's literally having a panic attack because he lost his daughter. In the in the act in the I'm assuming it was a it was a train collision or something, but in the accident, right? Uh, he lost his daughter, which is probably it's one of those in my head. At first, I was just like, "Well, 
someone's just being like, hey, hey, you, hey. And if someone did that and they were talking to me, I wouldn't know they were talking to me. I would just be like minding my own business and they would have to like really do something drastic for me to know that it was them. But I think you're probably right that that's what the movie was was thinking is like he was he knew it was her, but was avoiding like talking with her. But I, I was just like, well, but why would he know it was her? Because it's just a little girl. Right. Or maybe he just avoids all little girls. Well, that's the, I mean, that's the thing that I do. Which and I don't know if you do completely this. completely plausible. Right, right. Do you do the thing where if anyone says, if someone's like trying to get your attention, you just don't give it to them for a while because you're like, maybe they're giving my attention, they're trying to get my attention, but it would be more embarrassing if they weren't than like, cause I am blind. So then they're yes. the asshole trying to get yeah, the attention yeah, of a blind no, person. I'm, I'm always <laughs> worried. Like I'll hear someone say, Hey, how you doing? Or whatever. Da-da. Or hello is the worst. Yeah. Hello. And I'll just immediately, hello. Because, like, I've worked in so many service jobs. So it's right. like someone acknowledges you, you just acknowledge them right back. And then it's that, we, you're in that weird space of hoping oh that God, did. Were you did, talking to me? Yeah. Yeah. Are you talking? And then, do I know who you are? And then, do I remember what your name is? Like, in that order, slowly getting more panicked. Yeah. yeah. I that's funny because I will do the opposite of just being like there have been so many times where someone's trying to say hi to me and I've had to do the awkward thing of them saying hi like four times like oh oh me <laughs> like are you talking to me and they're like I'm sorry I'm blind like that's a thing I can't do but uh, honestly both them suck which is why there's no good answer <laughs> to which because I think <laughs> generally I mean sometimes I guess I'm more likely to say hi if I'm in a situation where it's more likely they are talking, you know, like I'll do the math of like, well, it's more likely they're talking to me. But a lot, of, I've spent, there's been so many times where someone's like, why are you being so rude? Like someone I could tell was getting annoyed that I was not acknowledging them when I was literally just like, I was aware of them, but I was also just not, just really uncertain if they were talking to me. And so I did not want to just, cause I, I actually really just hate being in a position where I accidentally think someone's talking to me and it's like a phobia of mine that I will avoid it oh yeah no or you you make them you make the mistake and this is the one I make all the time is I will literally start carrying a conversation with somebody and they're on the phone and they're oh they're either they're on the phone or I've mistaken them for someone that I know oh like so you'll start the conversation yep yep. and I'll just rattle you know and then they look at me and then I realize oh my god you're Oh, no. You are not at all who I thought you were. You don't know. You didn't get anything that I just said. You well, Okay, the worst one was at the state fair back home in Alaska. Um, there was a fella named Rakim who was in the in the play with with me at the time. And he was, it was a comedy of errors, so we needed lots of people. So he was a soldier. He was one of the Duke soldiers. And he had these, like, awesome dreads. And he just kept oh, nice. them for the entire play. And so we, so everybody called him Buffalo Soldier Aww. for the entire play. And he'd walk by, Buffalo Soldier, you know, and whatever. He, he did it, too. So, you know, and um, uh, so there, when I went into the fair, you now, because we live in America, you get your bags checked when you go into the state oh, fairs. It's ridiculous. So I'm getting my bag checked. Especially in Alaska. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, in Alaska, yes, but also you got to remember that in Alaska, everybody's got a gun. No, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah especially yeah, in Alaska because yeah. everyone's got a gun. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm go- so I'm going through the bag check, and the gentleman who checks my bag is uh, black, and he has dreadlocks. So I walk up to him and I look at him like, 
Oh my God, Rukakakakakakim, what's up, Buffalo Soldier? Like, you know, I didn't know you <laughs> no. was working at the fair. Da-da. And then, like, he stops and he looks at me, and <gasps> I just, it's that moment of, like, instant, I fucked up, and I fucked up hard. Oh my gosh. And he looks at, he gives me my bag back, and he's like, yeah, I suppose, uh, I suppose we all look the same to you. Like, did you have your cane? I did. I had my cane, and I. That's but, not so cool, I looked. Dude. So I. So I looked at him, and I was like, "Well, dude, I'm blind." And then we we just decided that mu- it would be mutually beneficial if we parted ways at that exact same moment in time. Yeah, it's hard because it's like you're blind. I do that with everyone, and which is also I think this is you're just reinforcing why I will have had so many times where people have gotten annoyed at me for not responding to them trying to get my attention because I will a hundred percent really I do always err on the caution of like being very careful it's only I feel like the only times I might take a chance is when I'm in a situation where it's like an environment where everyone's saying hello to each other (laughs) and and I'm like probably know the person like like it's also in an environment where I most likely know whoever's talking so that even if I don't like if I'm at like a show where there's like a lot of people in the show I might that I know (laughs) I might like talk to I might be like okay you're probably talking to me and if not it won't be that big of a deal but I never even assume I know who they are like I'm just like so well and a lot of a lot of my improv friends especially over at Funhouse have been making an effort to be like hey it's hey Melissa, it's Kristen. Hey, Melissa, it's Luna. Hey, that's Melissa, good. Especially you know, saying, "Hey, yeah. your name" is really because yeah. I feel like I don't even need. Like it can be helpful when people say who they are, but I'm fine with them not. But it's just saying my name is going to really help me pay attention to you. And I really appreciate when people are like, "Hey, Sky," like because then I don't. And Sky especially is nice because there's not. It's very unlikely there'll be another Sky in the area, and if there was, <laughs> it would be very understandable that I thought it was me. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's, I am, you know, you telling that story just makes me very certain that I should never, ever, ever (laughs) say hello back to someone unless they say it's Okay, that and you you should, what you should never do is Is open with an inside joke. Yeah. Is assume that they're that person and you just, oh Oh, my God. I am, yeah, no, I literally... I've had I sometimes feel bad because people will be like hey it's you know Joe or whatever and I'm like I definitely know it's Joe but I'm just like so scared to ever identify people that people oh like think God. I don't know them and I'm like I no go, I'm just too scared I go through that <laughs> no 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 I get it I go through that all the time even with my improv buddies I know you're I know who's talking to me sometimes I, I know your name when we're all back in the dressing room right and I am still so afraid to say it yeah yeah names are so hard (laughs) they're hard and i'm like i i know people's names and i never use it and then i always feel bad when i'm like when i definitely make it seem like i don't know someone when i do i'll always feel very guilty but um yeah it is it is better though than ever assuming anyone's identity but i mean there is a lot of social cost to it like it does make parties really unfun like it makes a lot of and you sometimes don't feel as close to people but at least you are you spend most of your time in environments where people do say like do address you directly and i because i think that 
tends to be more welcoming environments in general if people are making an effort to like reach out to you and Mm so I think that's helped me at least to like structure my life so that I'm in more environments where people will like directly address me and like make it obvious because that and that is another (laughs) this is a lot of cited PSAs but that if you really want to like make a blind friend to like feel welcome it's like saying hi with their name (laughs) directly and and I think like followed by it's identify yourself yeah and and (laughs) and even I think that one like that one might be a good one to ask the blind person because I think some like because I don't really care if you do that or not and so but mm-hmm. I but I also think some blind people it is really helpful so like kind of checking in with someone well, be like and, is this helpful yeah. and most of my friends most of my friends did right like Kim you know the, I just saw well a lot of them so a lot of them watch uh, Molly Burke on YouTube she's like the blind YouTuber oh she's pretty cool and she makes videos about being blind and PSAs and oh, all that that's helpful. All, yeah, it's really cool yeah and all that sort of thing so when I came in one night um the uh, the bartender was like, oh my god, I just saw Molly Burke and da 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 da, and and she's talking about like identification and everything, and I, and and she's like, what do you think? You know, you're 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 blind. What do you think? I'm like, I think that's a really great idea. <laughs> <laughs> she, so she and a, a lot of other people just do it now. And some and you're right. Sometimes I don't need it. Sometimes I'll walk in and you'll be talking to me, and I instantly know. The voice. Right. And then also my biggest fear with that one is that someone will say their name and that won't help me because I won't know that person's name. <laughs> and oh so then God. they'll like see on my face that I'm like, that there's no recognition. <laughs> so that's honestly why I don't like it because I'm always afraid. And sometimes I do recognize someone more by their voice than their name. And so sometimes hearing their voice is going to be more helpful. And if it's not helpful, I feel better like being like, oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't see you. I didn't know who you were. <laughs> Because then if they don't take it personally. Yeah, it's usually, it, it's usually dark in the theater. So I've, I, I, my go-to is it's so dark in here. I can't tell who anybody is. Right, which is, I mean, it's nice because it makes you, it, it's a nice social thing because it makes the other person not feel bad about it and you don't have to feel bad about it. And like, I feel like forgetting people sucks. And so it makes it, and I think sighted people do it too. So it is kind of nice to just be like, we can all feel good about this situation. <laughs> Like, even if I did forget who you are, we don't have to, like, that doesn't have to be a thing that's weird. Mm -hmm. Like, and you don't even have to know that I didn't because I could, it could, I can just blame it on my blindness. And I don't know. And then I, like, learn who you are. Maybe over time I really like you as a person and we would have maybe gotten off to a more shaky start if you realized I didn't recognize you (laughs) or, like, didn't really know you when you knew me. Um, But, yeah, that's, so that, just finding the the bright sides of, um being blind um yeah I mean there's a lot of them but but yeah to get I think to go back to the movie um we can kind of finish up final thoughts I mean I we I'd I'd like to talk a little bit more about like the very end of the movie because we kind of touched upon it when he's like going through the crowd Mm -hmm. um and to go to the club he is going against the crowd mm-hmm. um and then of people like running to the docks because it's in the opposite direction but then when he gets after he gets to the club and realizes that he wants to go and find Sophia and and like um because the sh- 
because she, yeah, it, I, I don't know how important it is because it is kind of slightly complicated, and we've kind of touched upon the different plot points. But um, they're, they're, everyone is trying to get out of everyone that can is trying to get out of Shanghai at this point, and he has paid for Sophia's family to leave and go to right. Hong Kong, and they ditch. They Sophia. try and ditch Sophia. Yep. And they also try and take her daughter. So everyone is trying to get to the docks. And it's like all separate groups. And like no. And all the people who want to be together are apart. Because we have Sophia has not yet met up with. Like um, Ray Fines is still trying to find her. And she's trying to find Katya. Because. And I think that the person who tells, isn't it the neighbor it who is. says, yeah, yeah. who's mm-hmm. the one who's like, we, this is stupid. You should, you should be with her. Um, and, mm-hmm. um, and so they, so Sophia is, is, so is Sophia with the neighbor at that point? Or does, cause the no. neighbor finds. No, the neighbor finds. Ray finds. Ray finds. <laughs> Finds very fine. Yeah. Literally, literally, because I think because they've all made it to the docks at this yeah. point. They've all made it, and Katya's on the boat with her family, and uh, Sophia's looking for her, and Ray Fines is looking for so for Sophia. Ed. Right. He trips again because he's tripped multiple times. I mean, of course. And right. Well, because he loses his cane. Is that what yes? He... Yes, he loses. No. So he gets out of the car, goes through the crowd. Gets pushed over, falls, loses his cane, can't find his cane, which is like two feet to the left. <laughs> the age-old dilemma. Um, can't find his cane, so he just gets up and keeps walking. Right. And he runs into a bunch of Japanese soldiers. Yeah, that moment is really striking. Oh, my God. I thought they were going to kill him. I well, was cause so he's scared. Just like because he's like feeling around, and they're just like all standing there with their... Oh god, it's so stressful. The, the bayonets, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bayonets. Yeah. And he comes, he comes up, and he like is feeling the bayonet and everything, and slowly coming out, and just like, oh my god, they're gonna, kill, they're gonna shoot him, they're gonna shoot him. Oh my god, oh my god. And he's like, I'm blind, I'm blind. I'm just, just trying to find my way. And they, and everybody's through. okay with it. Yeah, they're just like cool, <laughs> like put the bayonets <laughs> down, and like they make a path for him. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's interesting because it is like. It's a situation that because he can't see, he found himself in. Like, I don't think, you know, a sighted person would ever be in that position. But I think it's interesting that the movie's kind of saying, like, this is all kind of theater, you know? <laughs> War is somewhat theater. Yeah, and there's yeah. And it's just because you went in this corner that a sighted person would be afraid to go into. That's, you know that is why you're allowed to pass because it's just like that some a lot of it is show to begin with like right no this this was definitely the, one of the mo- more theatrical moments of the of the film right and it's also like i feel like saying that kind of making a commentary on on war and how you know the performativeness of war <laughs> like that it is is just cuz i mean it's kind of War is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, like, in not to make it, not to um, make it seem, not to get political. Well, or <laughs> yeah, but not to like downplay the oh sure. the horrors yeah, also. But like, yeah. but I think that it there to some extent it is. I mean, it it does feel pointless and it also is a, it is a bit of a spitting contest. Like you know, yeah. There's not. It, there's no righteous war basically but there's also like it does feel like a lot of it is 
I mean, performative, I think, is the best word I'm going to come up with. But, like, that it, it's more, like, the symbolizing of it than people don't need to die, <laughs> you know? But they do. Like, I, I don't know. This is, but I, I think that that part is kind of there, is part of that commentary on it. But just the fact that he, they just let him through because they're just, like, oh, whatever, he's blind. But it is... <laughs> still so stressful because it's in that chaos and this is like something I I worry about all the time in life is just like when things are chaos like even just doing like a fire drill at my work I like when I've done that I've been like oh so this is like something where I'm gonna be more unsafe like you know like there's this sense of like once any a bit of chaos is introduced into a situation and when lives are on the line you are just so much more vulnerable to that I mean yeah and I mean fire drills gave me the sweats when I was little I mean it was an it was an event for me it was just they're scary like and it's really hard to like yeah to know you people forget how much they're relying on their vision and also when people are scared they are not accommodating um and like you're you know when other people's vision narrows they're not thinking about how they can help their fellow people you know i mean look at look at ray fines's character when he got out of the car right disappeared into the sea of people i mean nobody gave a shit like they were all trying to get to the docks yeah and it's like i mean you know it is understandable in in fight or flight that's like to be accommodating to think of the people around you as something that you do when you're when you feel safe like and it is human nature to not be able to do that when you feel when you feel threatened and that's not there's nothing you know i don't think that it says anything about the person but it definitely says something about what trauma can especially in the moment can do to like what it does to people automatically um but then it's also like so when you have that mass like fear and threat then it is especially like scary for blind people who and just especially the fact that everything's changing like the shifting the shifting geography and dynamics of the geography just seems so scary (laughs) like that's just such a nightmare and that he's like going against the the crowd and then that he has to find them like it's just like the climax is just the most like i swear i have had nightmares that are just that the last like 20 minutes of that movie yeah yeah. (laughs) it's just like one thing after another you've lost your cane (laughs) right you've lost your cane you don't know where anyone you're trying to find people in a giant crowd of panicked people and you like you're literally trying to find people which is already just the worst i just that's a nightmare in itself is finding anyone is like one of the biggest fears that i have <laughs> like and then yeah you don't have your cane and also there's like explosions so like literally explosions the other number one nightmare of any blind person is well, explosions loud noises loud <laughs> yeah noises. loud noises yeah, no, are that, so disoriented no the whole that whole part i was just i was really tense i was just like this yeah. is not oh my god well good news is is um th- oddly enough they all find each other Right, they all do, and they and they are able to get Katya off of the boat. Yeah, which is which is really, I, I it definitely was one of those things where they set up the climax where I was like, oh my god, it's amazing they did it. <laughs> like you know, it felt urgent, and then there was yes, so much yes. stress. Yes. <laughs> and so they got her um, off the boat, and then they um, go to a different 
somewhere else in China, right? Because the family winds up still going to Hong Kong. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure if if they if they're going to Hong Kong. It's not really clear. But they and including Mr. Mr. Feinstein, they all board another boat, right, and leave. Yeah, and uh, the last beautiful image of the movie. Well, one of them is uh, Sophia, um, holding uh, Ray Fiennes's hand, right? Because like, really he doesn't have his really cane. holding it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, I feel like that was a very sweet, and it felt like a very good, like, climax of a movie with a blind character, because it just felt very much like kind of building those movie stakes of a climax, and the resolution all felt very genuine. Like, I, there wasn't, like, an uncanny valley thing of, like, something being like, well, a blind person could handle this or, like, a blind person couldn't handle this. Like, it felt just so spot on in all of it that I really liked that, that it, like, you set up the stakes to be so high that were genuinely, yeah, blind people nightmares. And then you kind of have this moment of, like, the denouement of, like, after the crisis where there's... Because it is very melancholy, the ending. Um... Because they are like going off, but it, but in a way, it's very hopeful too. Yeah, well, it, it, yeah, but I mean, basically, they gave up everything. I mean, yeah. she, she obviously had given it all up before she met him. But where he, they both I mean, kind of had gone yeah. through their own loss. But yeah, but I mean, he, you know, I'm assuming that like unless he has like bank accounts everywhere or whatever, you know, that he didn't have the money. That he might not have. I don't know. Yeah, that's do. I'm trying to remember if they have anything explicitly about that. Because in my head, I was thinking that I didn't think that he wouldn't have the money. But you might be right, and I might be forgetting something. I don't know. I mean, you gotta. It's you know, it's about giving up your old life, which right? Is what Sophia did. Well, they're giving up the new home that they made for themselves, right? Right, and now they're moving. It's like on a very much wherever. a refugee story because mm-hmm. it was from the beginning kind of a refugee story, but then like it's like the it's also about the tenuous nature of being a refugee and like and and you kind of see the I mean having also I think going into World War II, the fact that they are traveling with the, like, Jewish character, (laughs) you know, and this is pre, this all takes place, you know, in, like, the early 30s, so, so I feel like that, like, that refugee story is so specific to, you know, a Jewish character during that time period makes Mm -hmm. it feel very, um, it's, it's, it's not the, uh, it's not the early 30s, it's late 30s, because, oh, yeah, by the end of the movie, Right. Well, the movie opens in 1939. Oh, does it? Yeah, I missed I, that. <laughs> no, the title. The titles are at the bottom of the screen, and oh. I almost missed it. But I was like, oh no, the movie opens in in Shanghai in 1939. Okay. So and then we and then we time jump a year. So it really so so it's 1940. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So the yeah. So it's really. Oh, so they probably were. I guess he did. He all he must have already Feinstein must have already been escaping the Nazis to some extent. Yes, yeah. They, he doesn't say he doesn't say Nazis, but I think they have a conversation about. Um, yes, he. They, they, yeah, they do because he sets he sits Sophia down for her to rest, and they talk very briefly about. Yeah, I came from, I came from a hard life just like you because they all know she's a countess. 
Right. Uh, and I had to escape. Um, yeah. I had to escape evil people. Right. Which, I mean, Jews not doing super well in that part of the world for a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Bit. I mean, on my family got out of Russia during, like, the pogroms at the turn of the century. Wow. Um, but so, so I don't actually, because of that, don't have as any direct relatives who are Holocaust survivors because they got out early enough. Um, but, but yeah, it is, but it, yeah, it, it's definitely for me, I, I felt like that helped ground it in a very relatable sense of like, because they are kind of ancillary to that, to the conflicts in general of World War II, it is an oddly like a not a political, but it is kind of like everything is kind of to the side of the stuff happening in the war. <laughs> you know, it is like a very, very insular, um, which yeah, again is like part of the theme of the movie. Um, but like it is kind of always happening to the side of the actual conflict. But I, I feel like having the fact that you have characters led by um, a you know this a jewish man kind of leading the charge for them um and kind or kind of making it happen because he kind of connects the two of them when they're thinking they're never going to see each other again and he kind of is the glue that gets them back to seeing each other again i I don't know i kind of like that i i just it's always Mm -hmm. i don't know I'm yeah, a sucker the, for those weird uh, <laughs> like no, Holocaust it's, it's good. I mean, that, well, you know, it's, it's a happy ending. Yeah, it's a happy nice. ending in the Holocaust. I'm always like, yeah, it's so nice. I mean, you know, like it's, an, I mean, I don't know. It is, it's, it's, it is such a depressing time that you hear about so much in your life. Um, and it's just like the Jewish people we suffered. And so, you know, any story where someone's able to escape in time, there's always like, well, it's it's him it's, and it's him yeah. and his family. They all get out, right, right, because he's holding the kids. Because uh, it's his wife died in their attempt to escape. I yeah, and yeah. Uh, and he's holding their kids on the boat, on the right. same boat. And then you have like the new created family of like um, Sophia and and Mr. Jackson and Katya, which mm-hmm. it's not. I mean, it is like a really. I don't know. It's kind of, I like the, I always love Island of Misfit Toys endings. And just like you have like a sex worker and a blind man and like, and, and they're, I guess the daughter is just, well, she doesn't have a specific. Technically she's a, might be oh. a princess because her well, mom's yeah. a countess. And, but she's also like, has, she's technically has a single mom. Like the, their relationship does have that kind of like again island of misfit toys feeling, and I I just I always love that when you know it's like that chosen family kind of thing of like people whose society um have discarded like finding each other and finding like home within the community of each other. These are the things I'm a sucker for. <laughs> so so I like that. Um, but but yeah. So and then it kind of ends on a melancholy note of them like. Sailing, sailing away, away from their lives but like to find a new life mm-hmm. and i think there's like someone playing an instrument i forgot yeah <laughs> the, there's a trumpet there's a trumpet yeah. on the boat it's very haunting yes that music. yes um and i think that is maybe supposed to represent the last the very 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 last vestiges Oh, of the, the life of the club, of the life yeah, that they you're knew. Right, I don't. Yeah. I didn't. That's totally right. I don't even think I thought about that. But you're 100 percent right. Yes, good, <laughs> good catch. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I, it's, I like it. 
I like that movie. The movie. <laughs> no, I think I think you picked a really good movie. I actually want to um, share this one with my mom because I think she'd like it a lot, Aww. too. Mm-hmm. Yay. Okay, Yay. so do we want to do our reviews? Sure. Um, I guess we are kind of going into that. But mm-hmm. I, I'm going to give it a... Honestly, I'll give it like a 2,400. It'll be really nice, which is like very, which is past legal blindness. Um, Because should I explain how this works for both you and the audience? Yes. Yes, you should. (laughs) Sorry, I made it so complicated. That's okay. Um, um, So... um, the way that we rate the movies is 2020 would we rate it on a scale of blindness acuity um so instead of like 2020 being the ideal thing 2020 would be like a sighted person made this movie and no blind people were contacted it's not blind at all (laughs) whereas so the higher the number the better the rating because something like a 2200 is legal blindness so that would be a decent rating um and then anything above that is extra credit for blindness very confusing system you can blame me but i think it's kind of fun oh no no no, i get get it now i get it now um i mean and i don't mean to like jump on the bandwagon but honestly i i would uh, i would also give this movie a a 2400 hey Mm -hmm. hi marks yes very blind friendly yes yes i and and the fact that an really easy way to win me over is you have a blind character but their their blindness the fact that they are blind is not their character yeah like this wasn't a story about mr jackson having to overcome his blindness and you know do something amazing or whatever or like you know yeah like or like just, just want pining to be sighted right, again in right, some way right exactly he just yes he got in a terrible accident but he just happened to be blind yeah and he was still living his life and if if that is a character if if being blind is as an aspect of their character and not their entire character you you have me yeah and that it's and that the way that it is part of his character feels very true to life like the things that are stressful are truly stressful for blind people the things that are comforting you know the fact that he is so comforted by routine that is a that is a very blind person thing like the the having the safe spaces and and as much as like it feels somewhat tropey in the movie i do think that like the comfort of having a familiar place is in very truly blind thing like and the and there's good reason for that and even though in some ways the movie plays with it in some weird ways but I do think that like ultimately that is sometimes a problem maybe that blind people I think we could hold on to things that are familiar past the point in which they're safe just because the familiarity is like makes them feel safe so like it kind of all the ways in which his character like but then also the fact that his character is very self-assured, is very adaptable, you know, has a lot of different characteristics I think are positive things about blind people. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely had, like, felt felt true. Um, one thing I guess we could argue is you could get a blind character, or a blind actor to play a blind character. Yes. That's, yeah. that's the one thing, but... That's, yeah, that's the only thing I thought when I finished it. I was like, that was really good, but it's, it is the story of another abled actor playing a disabled yeah actor yeah you did the opposite of what i did 
a blind, <laughs> a enabled actor playing a disabled character, whereas I said enabled character oh. playing a disabled actor. <laughs> so I don't know. We both said the wrong thing. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Um, <laughs> enable, it, is, it is another case of an enabled actor playing a disabled character. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. But, you know, well... Maybe, maybe at some point when we're doing this podcast in the future, <laughs> there will be movies coming out where you'll actually have blind actors. I don't know if it's happened in history Holy yet, moly. but <laughs> maybe Yeah, someday. I'll have to look. I'll have to look. <laughs> well, we'll get to it if it has happened. And mm-hmm. if it does happen, we'll get to it when it happens. Um, but yes, we endorse um, blind people playing blind characters yeah well not only that i mean just disabled actors in general yes. playing <laughs> playing disabled characters or playing non-disabled characters whatever they want right but working. people the reason why we don't have stars that can play disabled actors is because no one's hiring disabled people to play anyone so that's no, why unless, they're not around uh, unless you're peter dinklage <laughs> right the yeah, which i don't the one no, person <laughs> i don't i don't hate peter dinklage i love peter dinklage but, you know, yeah. Well, I guess that, like, having a able actor play a little person is so extremely offensive. You well, can't. Yeah. You just don't, like, have characters. No. You don't even try. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that is one that they haven't even. Well, who knows? I'm sure something extremely offensive has been done before. <laughs> anyway. Um, to end on a happier note of not complaining about the state in the Hollywood, which is this whole podcast in some ways, but <laughs> what are so, what is something that we um, we enjoyed this last couple weeks, something we've been getting into? Well, I guess I kind of already blew mine because um, oh, yeah. I can't remember if I had talked about it on a previous episode, but it would be the, uh, the Harley Quinn animated series. Um, the voice talent is exceptional. The writing is great. Um... The episodes are fun and funny and fast-paced, and it's I can I've watched the first three episodes so many times I can practically just <laughs> listen to them and I know all the jokes. But um, there's yeah there's visual jokes sure, but there's lots of like dialogue gags. Nice and um, yeah I mean it's about Harley Quinn not being with the Joker anymore. Yeah, which is fuck yeah, awesome. And she's got like a crew. So you got like I mean the talent on the show is amazing. You got Lake Bell as Poison Ivy. Oh, who wow. her deliver she she's so dry. She I del- love oh my some dry god. Humor. Yes, she's amazing. And then you have like Alan Tudyuk who plays the Clayface and the Joker. You have uh Buster, Tony Hale from Arrested Development. Oh yeah, Tony Hale. Yes, he plays Dr. Psycho. <laughs> and he is this like little person with huge attitude he's amazing wait is I he an actual him. little person yeah in the, oh in the so show. there is a <laughs> yeah in the show dr psycho is a little person so so what i just said that i don't know if that exists it does exist apparently well but this is an animated show so obviously tony hale's not disabled but his the character he's playing is a little person right but i had literally just said that i don't i feel like it's too offensive to make a little person a character that is a little person played by a not like uh, an able okay. actor. <laughs> so that is a whole different discussion we can have because voice actors. It's it, it it's complicates insane. it, yeah. but it is not. I still think there could be some accountability. Sure, sure, but there. Yeah. Yes. No. I get. I get what you're saying. <laughs> but in that in that case, you'd have to find a real shark, a half man, half shark, to play King Shark, who's voiced by Ron Funches. I don't know though. I don't. I think 
It's fine if a human plays a shark character. Yes, yes. No. <laughs> and then, sadly, I, I can't remember who voices Harley, but she's amazing. I think she's a newcomer. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Oh, uh, Jason Alexander's in it as well. Nice. Mm-hmm. I will, I will he have He plays to. a guy in a wheelchair. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, this, show is, this show is perfect for you. You should uh, totally watch it. Okay. Yeah. I will... Well, we'll have to watch it for the podcast or yes. something. But no, yeah, there's it, so many disabled characters, it, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. It's um, it's Harley Quinn, the animated series. It's only streaming on DC Universe, so you either gotta pay the oh, seven dollars no. or make a friend. Oh no, DC Universe, that's a streaming platform now. Yes. Oh no. And you can also read comics, and it's actually kind of cool because you can read comics, and they have all of the um. Do they do the audio ones? No, they oh. should. No, but they have all like the Batman, the animated series stuff on there. Oh yeah, that's mm-hmm. cool. I'm yeah, I'm need to curate my streaming portfolio. Um, <laughs> but that's that does sound awesome. Um, it's really cool. I'm glad that it's she really got cool. out of that abusive relationship. Yes. Um, yes, 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 yes. That is uh, something I've been worried about her, so that's great. Mm-hmm. And it's it's oddly emotional, too. Like, it'll have, well, yeah. like, it's, it's... Well, that's the weird know. thing is when Harley Quinn is not an emotional... St- like, it is, like, a genuinely full-on realistically abusive relationship that, like... That when that's not when that's played for laughs, it's like ah no. Oh yeah, no. When it's played when it's played for laughs is like I feel uncomfortable. Yeah, not cool, not <laughs> no. good. Um. Anyway, what you what anyway, you got? What do you got? Um. So this is uh, like not a thing that's newish. Um. I mean, yeah. Um. But I am always enjoying and listening to the pop star soundtrack which is um wait you don't mean pop star never, never stop, stop never stopping, stopping. oh yes. my god yes. this is just like it is such a mood booster that i feel like it's a good since we've like been doing comedies now i did a drama just wanted to bring like the just joy and laughter as well into it because i I mean, I'm of love Lonely Island forever, but just that soundtrack, it is like for a soundtrack to a (laughs) comedy movie, not the kind of thing that you expect to just like listen to all the time for just just as a genuinely loving the music and enjoying it. I feel like it is a movie that is a cult classic of, you know the future My, yes. probably or now maybe but it is oh I, definitely very now. yes nobody went and saw it when it was in theater i saw it twice in theaters and i nice. was shocked i was like why nice. would no one see this this is so amazing i missed it and i'm very sad yeah i get to um, have the cred of seeing it in theaters yes but. my my favorite joke is the bees joke oh my gosh the ones the one where they're um, like the camera person. Yes, it cuts out. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> so all right. you, all so you don't hear, watch this. yeah, yeah, all you hear is what is happening, and they put the dialogue <laughs> on screen. But yeah, no, I love that. Also, that um, really funny. oh my god, they, that's like yeah, it's like that's literally my favorite joke in the entire movie. Um, what is, what is your favorite song on the soundtrack? Oh, okay, so my favorite song is um Bin Laden. Yes, of course, because it is of course just the entire conceit of that song. 
seeing it in the theaters like within one line of the song I started laughing so hard and did not stop the entire song like I was happy to see it twice because I like missed so many of the jokes of that song because it was just instantly the funniest thing I've ever heard I just I it's oh my god I just love it so much and how smart those lyrics are but it just how unbelievably funny that is of like subverting like the sexy song invade her cave with especially (laughs) with that and i was like he wasn't even in a cave the first time i saw it and then he was like and then the next line he said he wasn't in a cave i was like yes it's true he wasn't in a cave yeah it's like it's written for my heart Uh, Um, but yeah i love mine is mona lisa yes because that song just is so stupid I love it. The original so basic much. bitch. The original basic bitch. Oh, I yes. love. Yeah, because it is also true. M- Mona Lisa is pretty lame. Like <laughs> as a tourist attraction. <laughs> oh, and there's also okay. So another one of my favorite ones. I don't think is in is it's a bonus track in the soundtrack. I'm not sure if they like if it's like during the credits or not that they play it. But it's like. Uh, it, I'm pretty sure it is featuring Fallout Boy, and it's just like <laughs> song where it's like like a telling. It's like talking to kids, and but then it's like if your teacher is like you know being a grumpasaurus, you could just tell him to fuck off, and then it like gets ex- far more graphic. <laughs> And just like, and it just for like each like adult, a scenario where an adult is like yes. having a reasonable request, yes. and then they're like, fuck you off. Can, uh, oh my god, and, and, yeah, and then it's just like, you can suck my dick, and like just this <laughs> extremely, oh my god, oh, it's so good because I just, I really love um how dumb the songs for like they're like the tween because it's because it is fallout boy basically like the tween songs where it's like so aggressive and you're like why are you this you feel very angry about something that seems inconsequential and then it's like also 13 year olds that really love it and so they was just oh oh so good so good i love oh, it great. i love it great that's soundtrack. that's wonderful no not enough not enough people talk about that movie yeah it is i yeah because a friend and one of the people in my improv team was wearing a shirt um for pop star no. and another friend and i were like oh my god it's pop star and then the rest like there's 10 of us on the team and then the rest of the team was like oh i don't know what that is and we we're like what you don't know what pop star is but I feel like it's just like, yeah, it's one of those things where you you either, it's either your favorite thing in the whole world or you, you don't know it yet. <laughs> yep. Oh, love it. Love it. Okay. Well, do we cool. want to um, announce right. um, the next movie? Sure. So next time it's mine. Uh, so I have picked for us blind dating since I am incapable of picking a drama apparently <laughs> no it's okay I, I picked one for cool. you cool um, so we're watching blind dating it stars a baby Chris Pine I, I swear I think this is like one of the first things he ever did uh, and he plays Danny and it's all about Danny's uh, adventures in love Oh, if only it was Valentine's Day wasn't like a month ago, so we're too late. I know, I know. <laughs> no, this one is way too late. But yeah, we're in the romantic. We'll just we'll just group them thematically, maybe. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm very excited to watch that. Um, Good. 
It's, yeah, it's silly, but it's great. Silliness is yeah. is 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 good. Mm-hmm. Is I'm happy for it. I'm here for it. That's yeah. what they say. I'm here for. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're here for it. You're yeah. Here for it. You're okay. Here for well, cool. thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, for being citizen white cane people. That's <laughs> very, that's super well said to me. Perfect. <laughs> <Yes>. Perfect. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see you next week. Or in, we'll see you in two weeks. He's come out bi-weekly. That's right. <laughs> yes. yes. So, <laughs> yes. see you in two weeks. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> theme song was written and performed by the amazing Lucia Fasano. You can check her out um, at luciafasano.bandcamp.com. She has a lot of really great stuff. Um, we did get social media. So you can follow us on Twitter at White Cane Pod or on Instagram at Citizen White Cane. Uh, you can send us an email to citizenwhitecanepod at gmail.com. And, um, of course, don't forget to subscribe and rate and review and all that stuff. Yeah, cool. Thank you. See you in a couple weeks.